Goodmanson curls it in and he goes all the way through. And Genoa have taken the lead on 20 minutes with the first goal of the new year. And it's scored by Albert Goodmanson direct from a free kick. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Serie A Spotlight. This is episode 107, and we are your hosts, Matt and Jake, here to discuss match day 19, which means exactly the halfway point of the Serie A campaign. And it's been absolutely mental so far. This weekend specifically, the top two teams barely won against the bottom two teams, bro. A lot of controversy as well, man. A lot of VAR decisions, a lot of um, um, goal line technology being utilized as well. A lot of drama and a lot of controversy this week. And a lot of shithousery as well. You had, for example, Dybala stepping up to take his penalty and Coop Miners moving the ball onto the spot for Mm -hmm. him. Um, the baller converts the penalty Gets the ball Runs up to Coop Miners And just tosses it at him <laughs> Love to see that stuff You had um, Mancini <laughs> taking down The KSLR <laughs> The most aggressive man in the league Absolutely choking out The most timid boy in the league <laughs> 100% It was hilarious And all those games were incredible though The Juve and Inter games were unbelievable Yeah, yeah, but drama until the until the very end, man um, Our goal of the week was Albert Goodmanson um, His opener, that was the first goal of 2024 in Serie A mm. Yeah, it was the opening goal uh, in the Bologna-Genoa game Free kick angled for a uh, cross um, However, who went for a goal with a low curling strike Kind of like... Um, <laughs> An inbound, an in-swinging cross shot. A player did very well to duck under the ball. Voliaccio. Voliaccio, yeah. distract the keeper. Um, and it went into the, to the far corner. Honorable mentions are Pellegrini, who surprised everyone by stepping up to take that free kick. Especially kick. the commentator. Especially the commentator. <laughs> Reliance said it's a brilliant goal! Right! <laughs> I love that commentator. I love him. He got, he got so confused. He, was, he got so jaded by that. He was really expecting Rovella there. Yeah, really. yeah. And, and you know, Pellegrini hasn't been starting many games. It's typically Marusic and Lazzari, but suddenly they've got this left footer bending it like Beckham. Uh, Vecino's winner was was uh, a juicy one. A lot of technique to score that goal. Of course. Vecino, it seems like he only scores winners, eh, man? Yeah, man he's, he's, he's about that life, you know. Big game player. Big game player. Um, quite a, a, a forgettable player, to be honest with you. know, and it's not a big moment, in my opinion, for, for, for me. I mean, I, I know I just clarted him for no reason. But, but you know what? I mean, he never stands out to me as a great player. But then in these big moments, he comes out massive. And that's what you need in these... Recently, I was re- I was watching that. Um, I knew I was going to mention it on the podcast. I almost challenged myself to not, and I'm mentioning <laughs> it in the first ten minutes. The the Netflix show, man, the Captains uh, of the World. It is incredible because he's he's Uruguayan, eh? Yeah, he's Uruguayan. Yeah, but he's, <laughs> he's Uruguayan. He's not, he's not in it. Um, however, I'm just saying that um, there are certain personalities and certain players that always perform on the big stage. Ochoa. Sarah mentioned to me, she's watching it with me, and she was like... Um, Do the voice. Like, I've, it's it's crazy. Um, I've heard all these names before. And there, there's a reason you've heard all these mm. names before, because these are 
the names. These are the people. If you've heard the name of the player, he must be very good. He must be very hungry. Mm. He must be so hungry that he has made his name so massive that you've heard it and you're not even yeah. interested in football, you know? And the World Cup is, and, and these tournaments, Champions League, you know, this is where these players step up. And I feel like having Vecino in your, in your team, man, is actually quite useful for Lazio, for Absolutely. example. You never know, man, when they're going to need him. Imagine against fucking mm. Bayern Munich, man. Yeah. Who knows? Like, who knows? Mm. You know who used to be a player like that? A player of only big moments? Giroud. Yeah. Giroud used to be that player. Even in the, in the Premier League and for France, even in the beginning at Milan, he was Captain Clutch as well. We used to call him Captain Clutch Absolutely. for Milan. Yeah. But now he's found a little bit more consistency. Okay, he just had a drought, which is now <laughs> now broken. Um, but he is a bit more of that, that consistent yeah, figure. He's more of a domestic hitter nowadays. He wasn't yeah. always that, basically. Exactly. Um, we've had the Coppa Italia since we last spoke. Okay, I know we mentioned Milan's victory over Cagliari, the 4-1, where they had four youngsters starting. But the only update we have since then is that Juve beat Salernitana six goals to one. Crazy goals. Uh, Yildiz way out. The goals were mental. Yildiz is an animal, bro. Yildiz is a fucking monster. And in a couple of seasons' time, or next season, Juve are going to have, when Chiesa inevitably gets injured, they're going to have Yildiz on one side and Soleil on the other. And... Sign me up, bro. Yeah. Sign me up. I'm going to be watching them. Um, but Juve won 6-1, which means they've advanced to the next stage. Um, they're playing this Thursday and they're facing Frozenone. I believe that game is at 9 p.m. Mm-hmm. As we record this, which is Tuesday, 9th January, in around an hour's time, we're going to be seeing Fiorentina facing off against Bologna. In what is, well, in, in this area, a, a battle for fourth spot and, and, and a battle for Champions League. And yeah, a derby, naturally. Um, the day after, on Wednesday at six, there's the derby della capitale between Roma and Lazio. And then followed by another derby in Milan Atalanta. That obviously the region of Lombardy can be, and the history of the clubs, um, can be viewed as a derby as well. So this really is the stage now. In Serie A and in, in football in general, where now the, the Champions League is going to be a round of 16 and onwards, same as the Europa League. We have the Coppa Italia quarterfinals, Serie A more than halfway through. It's in full swing now. This is when you really, this is when you're at the edge of your seat, you know? Absolutely, man. If you look at the table, it's tight. Like you look at um, Lazio, who had been practically written off from the top four. You realize how how early it is in the season. Mm-hmm. How how everything is still there for the yeah. taking. You know, Frozen on who are off to a flying start. You see how dangerously close they still are to relegation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you look at the table right now, for example, let's open it up here. Um, you've got the fourth <laughs> spot. You've <laughs> got. <laughs> so always, you always with yourself sometime when you're opening the table. Like in ninth place, you've got Napoli with 28 points. In fourth place, you've got Fiorentina with 33. Crazy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like 11th place, Monza with 25 points are technically still in the running for a fifth place finish, which mm. could get you Champions League. Yeah. In theory, yes. Yeah. Genoa can still get relegated for all we know. Who the fuck knows? You know? No. no. Um, you know what I think? I think, and I will bet you 
five euro mm-hmm. on air. I'm not gonna bet a kit <laughs> because you I. Won't, you won't keep your promise. Yeah, because I used to bet kits willy nilly. Yeah, apparently, bet a if kit. If you that, listened in season one, you'd know that, that Verona till today owes me two kits. Yeah, I said that. I owe you. I owe you a kit if if Sassuolo finish ahead of Verona this season. Today, classic battling for a ninth spot. Those two back then. Um, I bet you this bet is actually about Verona. I bet you Verona will get relegated this year, finishing dead last. Mm-hmm. I'll take that bet on. Dead last. I don't think they'll finish dead last. You don't think they'll finish dead last? I, think, I so. think they will. I think my rationale behind this is that obviously they're going bankrupt. They have a serious, serious problem financially. And they're going to start offloading players. Terracciano to Milan is a done deal for nothing, bro. One million euros. Um, one million was it? I, uh, I believe it was one million. Okay. Um, fact check while I, mm. while I keep explaining my rationale. Um, now Milan are flirting with the idea of Ngonge. And I just feel like whatever chance they can get to make a quick buck, they're going to take. Even if it means they go down to Serie B and they're the last um, Verona team standing... I believe that they'll do it, man. Yeah, it's five million, by the way. It's four million up front and one million in bonuses. Uh, and Verona have ten percent resale. Ah, uh, I must have just seen the one million yeah. bonus. Part. Um, yes, their owner is um, going bankrupt, but the club's falling into hedge fund or into whatever the secondary owner or beneficiary that takes over or whatever. Um, I don't know if, if they'll finish dead last. Um, I, I certainly think they'll be getting relegated, but um, dead last, I don't know. I don't know. I'll, I'll gladly put five euro yeah. on it. Why not? Five euro. I've written, it. I've, I've written it down. So we shan't forget. And if we do, please remind us, guys. Don't forget to like, follow, rate, date, chat, eat, pray, love, live, love, laugh. As always, guys, um, share our podcast, um, show it some love, send us a DM. We're, we're very active on that front and don't forget that we've also got patreon for just 3.99 a month you could really help us grow and help us invest into the studio that we're currently putting together um it's it's a financial struggle as i'm sure you all know and and every little helps naturally Absolutely, absolutely. And we've also got a shop there where you can buy some of the artworks um, in um, digital form. So yeah. you, can, you can buy them for three euro each, basically it's a minimum amount on Patreon. Um, or you can become a patron and they're all free and you can download them all and use them as your wallpapers or print them and make posters, whatever. There you go, there you go. Um, I would like to thank our patrons so far. We've got um, Ed, Alan, Andy, Lena, Jose, Mint, Mike, Matteo, Matthias, Luca, Anthony, Michael, David, Kyle, Andrew, Sluge, McNoodle, and Tim Warner. Thank you very much, guys. Um, you are the spotheads. You are what keep this show going. Yep. I want to particularly thank Sluge McNoodle for adding a bit of spice to those boring ass names. <laughs> I think those are the most common names in the world that you That's read. That's because I'm leaving out the surnames. We've got Andrew Batman and David Mastro Battista. Those are crazy, man. Those are crazy to be fair. But I love all of these guys, man, and gals. I, I love them all. They're so funny. They bring such good energy to the chat. Again, guys, you could be part of that. It's very, very fun. And who doesn't want to talk Serie A all day, every day? Especially if your friends like the Premier League. Shh, bro. You can't say that word in the studio. Haram. 
Yeah, we've got a giveaway live at the moment, guys. If you want to win an all black Serie A spotlight embroidered sweater, now is your chance to do so. Head over to our Instagram page, follow the steps, um, and you will be in the chance to win that. You could be anywhere in the world and you'll enter the chance of winning. So thank you once again to the talented embroidered Malta who put together these sweaters for us. They look cool, you could wear them in, you could wear them out. Just head on over to our Instagram, follow the steps and enter the giveaway. Yes, please. Um, we're we're going to be doing it by poll. We're going to be filming um, the result of the giveaway, basically, and posting it on our social media. And that could be you. So please do join. Now, um, Matthew's got his fast-paced, action-packed, Famous rundown, ready for Famous it? rundown. Famous, yeah. It's famous, bro. I think it's very famous, but here we go. We're going to start off with Roma 1, Atalanta 1. That was our staple match of the week, followed by Inter 2, Hellas 1. A lot of controversy post the 90th minute, which ended with Fratesi celebrating with his ass out in front of the Corva Nord. Salernitana 1, Juve 2. Yes, Salernitana and Juve did face each other twice in a row. On both occasions, Salernitana opened the scoring, but on both occasions, Juve got away with a victory. Empoli nil, Milan 3. Another clean victory for Milan. That's their third victory in a row as they look to recover from their previous form. As opposed to Napoli, who lost 3-0 at the hands of Torino. A brilliant display for Torino, but now shouts for Mazzocchi to be sacked. Mazzari. Mazzari, apologies. But Mazzocchi should probably be sacked. <laughs> Getting a red card <laughs> on his opening match for Both Napoli. Six minutes in. Around six minutes in, yeah, man. Yeah, that's some debut. Udinese 1, Lazio 2. Udinese showing, again, that they are a tough draw for most of these teams, but they have recorded their... Just their sixth loss of the season, to be fair. And Lazio got away with a 2-1 win over there with two great goals. Bologna won, Genoa won. Bologna once again failing to get all three points for the second match in a row. Another stellar performance by Genoa, particularly Albert Goodmanson. Shock, shock, shock. Sassuolo won, Fiorentina nil. Sassuolo scored in the ninth minute and kept a clean sheet for the entirety of the match. Not without, believe it, man. Not without its drama. Um, that is Sassuolo's first clean sheet of this season, bro. Crazy, crazy stuff. As soon as we're calling for Dionysi's sacking. Frosinone 2, Monza 3. Frosinone almost got a comeback over there. Um, but, but Monza were too strong for them. And to end things off, the relegation battle between Lecce and Cagliari, which ended 1-1. Classic vintage Serie right here. What a week. Let's jump into it, bro. The first you one start. we have, yes, sir, is Roma 1, Atalanta 1. And Roma have only beaten Atalanta at the Olympico once since 2015, by the way. Jesus. This was, interestingly enough, a battle between the two teams who have struck the woodwork the most this season. <laughs> and they've each struck the woodwork 10 times. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, um, just to set you up for the game, Rome, of course, have signed Dean Hoysen on loan from Juve. Um, he's an 18-year-old Dutch defender who is hailed to be one of um, Juve next to Jen's most promising talents. Of course, the deal is a dry loan, so there is no option to buy. He's got 71 appearances across um, various youth levels for Juventus, and he actually made his Serie A debut against Milan. Ooh. Yeah, he was on the way to Frosinone and he was um, about to go there. Literally everything was confirmed until Mourinho saw something in him clearly and called him mm. and convinced him to go to Roma for the rest of the season. 
and he will be wearing the number three over there, or he is wearing the number three over there. That's rather. some jump, huh? I know, right? Yeah, Gasperini for this game deployed a mobile attack, leaving Skamaka on the bench and focusing on Coop Miners, Miranchuk and CDK. While Pellegrini started for Roma as Paredes picked up a last-minute injury um, <clears throat> and they started with the formidable Lukaku-Dibala partnership up front. Clearly Gasperini here, like we mentioned last week about Roma's approach against Juve and how they could have added more creatives, Gasperini did all he could to add creatives to this team, starting Mirancho, Cope Miners and having the Catelare up front, clearly knowing he's going to have a lot of the ball, so he's going to need his most creative players. Exactly, absolutely. If, Ron- if Roma are um, uh, patient, that's unconscious. Atalanta are the surgeon in this yeah. situation, yeah. yeah. Um, and that's what they tried to do, you know, like slice through the Roma defense using their intelligence and creativity. But yes, the game started off with Atalanta dominating initially. Um, the silky Russian Alexei Miranchuk showed up. Um, pretty early on and really left his mark on the game mm-hmm. where he um, dribbled Lorente absolutely wonderfully I don't even know what he was doing with his legs there the way he he tricked him was, was fantastic mm-hmm. before whipping in the perfect ball to Coop Miners the Dutch jack of all trades towered over Christensen and Karsdorp to head it in um, funnily enough no team has scored more headed goals this season than Roma actually <laughs> eight they're tied with Fiorentina Shocker. but Atalanta have now made it seven so they're catching up when it oh. comes to headers they have their own mini game going on here who yeah. scores the most headers you know? nah, who hits the post the most <laughs> exactly <laughs> CDK failed to capitalise on a Cristante area that saw him one on one with Rui Patricio rushing out and making himself as big as possible um, it was Yashinesque you know mm. he managed to stop him the spider the spider and he managed to um, save the ball fantastically Roma had three goal-scoring chances at the end of the first half. The Bala couldn't connect with the ball to tap it into an empty net. Bove missed from point-blank range. And, um, and yeah, they were just very, very wasteful in the first half. Towards the end of the first half, they flipped the switch even further, Roma. Um, a long ball over the top saw Karnasecki bravely or stupidly <laughs> rushing out to the edge of the area and punching the ball away from Lukaku. However, it only fell as far as Zalewski, who tried to chip Karnasecki off his line. Karnasecki parried the ball upwards and this time it fell to Karsdorp, who tried to slot it into an empty net, but Jim City was there to clear it off the line. It looked like Atalanta were... In the clear. We're in the clear, yes, but then it went to VAR and out of nowhere. Now, Ruggeri had nothing to do with anything. (laughs) He was not involved in the slightest, okay? His only contribution to this was charging through and kicking studs up Karsdorp in the leg basically. He, he, I think he, he, he jumped up him. to like head the ball and, and with his, the, with the bottom of his studs. He grazed him. He essentially grazed Karsdorp. Initially, in fact, Karsdorp went down and the commentator said, that looks like a horrific injury because yeah. he went down by himself. Only to find out through a slow-mo replay that there was contact. It was, it was Absolutely. minimal, but it's, you know, studs contact. Um, on a, on a high area above the knee, um, inside of the box. So he, he awarded a penalty. Absolutely. Penalty, yellow card, the ball sent Karnasecki the wrong way, grabbed the ball, ran up to Coop Miners and threw it at him. Yeah. Um, yeah. Of course, cause, um, cause Coop Miners tried to, uh, put the ball in the center of the spot where the ball had originally placed it on the edge of the spot. Yeah. 
Karniseki made two great saves in the second half, one on Huisen, who almost scored on his debut for Roma, wearing the number three, being personally called by Jose Mourinho. That would have been a fucking week for him. Huisen, Huisen. Huisen. And the other on Dybala. Skamaka scored after an acrobatic Dybala bicycle kick, but it was called off due to a foul on Zalewski that appeared to be very soft to me. Lukaku skied a clear chance in front of Karnesecki and bitched at Spinazzola for supposedly playing the ball behind him when he clearly should have yeah. done better. Yeah. Um, honestly. Honestly. Like, okay, it was slightly behind him, but you hit the target. But come you on, take dude. a step back. If you're Lautaro Martinez there, you yeah. wait and you take a step back before the ball even comes to you. You look exactly. at the space. Like, that, exactly. that was the only place that the ball could have actually been played, man. Yeah. Man, you know, as a, as a world-class striker or, or as a great striker even... You, you're expected to score whenever the ball is in or around the area and you're positioned there. The, the ball does not to be, does not need to be placed on a plate for you to be able to score. I hate it when players complain for, for things like that when Absolutely. they should clearly be doing better. Absolutely. But yes, remember that the game is played by many, many sore losers, many egos, many. Yeah. Look up with serial winners, you know. He's definitely up there as one of those things. <laughs> Let's not specify. In the 94th <laughs> minute, of course, you're not going to let it end 1-1. And Mourinho isn't the center of attention. Eh? Obviously. So, he was right, though. He was right. Um, in the 94th minute, Hien was clearly pulling Lukaku's shirt. Mm, clearly yep. pulling it. Mm-hmm. He deserved a yellow card. The referee didn't give it to him. Hien would have played for me on my Fanta Culture and I wouldn't have been a man down. It would have been incredible. But that wasn't the case. He didn't get a second yellow. Uh, he didn't get a yellow card. However, Mourinho got a second yellow card. And um, after the game, he imposed a media silence on all his players. So right now, the Roma players aren't actually allowed to talk to the media. Um, funnily enough, Mourinho got his first yellow card by shouting, book me, book me, to the referee. <laughs> this guy. This guy, can, by the way, Mourinho can literally do what he wants on the page. Like, I think so. He he got sent off. He was walking off, and the fans just started going. Jose Mourinho, <laughs> la, 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 la. Like, how many times has he been sent off this season? Well, I don't That's, know. This must be his fourth time, third time, fourth time this season. Well, and and remember, he was suspended for like the first three, four games of the season because of because of that fucking monstrosity that that he had in the Europa League final, yeah, yeah. where he fucking waited outside to beat up the ref. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a break, man. So meet me outside, yeah, meet me outside. <laughs> for me, the best players for Roma this game were Bove, Dybala and Huisen. Um, Huisen, I thought, put a better shift in than Lorenta did the whole game. Um, Roma are trying to offload Spinazzola, yep. interestingly enough. Yep. Um, and they're also trying to offload Sanchez, but they're struggling to find suitors. And that's what happens when you, um, of course... Um, p- when you sign players on a free and give them such large contracts, yeah, that's it, that's it, and 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 he's a burden on on Roma's pockets at yes. the moment. And and Spinazzola is still deployable; he can still put in a shift. As we saw this game, he, he was probably he should have deserved an assist. Mm. Um, however, his overall game is a bit shaky, and I think they can do better in that department. I I think um, it's in- he hasn't been the same since he came back from injury, man. Spinazzola. Oh. Um, I don't think he's finished by all means, but I don't think he's tidy enough to be a left back at a four in the back, and I don't think he's fit enough to be a wing back in a three at the back. I don't think he tracks forward and back efficiently and powerfully enough 
as a left wing back and as a left back I don't think he's tidy enough man yeah um, fair enough I I don't I never quite got the hype um, I thought that the Euros that it's true he did well at the Euros however no, but even before yeah he's good at breaking into the box he's got quick feet he's always had this consistency streak about him this inconsistency mm. you know um, never quite he he never quite took that next step mm. and he was interrupted by injury as well which yeah. sucks for him yeah um, when it comes to shots Roma outshot Atalanta with six shots on goal to two mm-hmm. um, Rui Patricio was good here Carnesecchi was fucking good here these goalkeepers actually played very well and it's not off every day I say that Rui Patricio played well yeah yeah, um, but Karnasecki in particular had a great game, man. He had so many saves. You know that one moment. Okay, granted, the penalty is probably his fault because of the way he rushed out initially. Yeah, and then just the comical sequence of events that happened afterwards. But um, but yeah, that's that's pretty much it. I have a few quotes, bro, from the managers. Okay. Gasperini said, "The point we got tonight is precious, but we have a lot to complain about. I am very skeptical about Skamaka's disallowed goal. For me." It absolutely wasn't a foul. The opponent fell first. Some decisions went in their favor. I don't make comparisons. I only look at facts. We ended up with six yellow cards when Roma only received one. I do not condemn the referee as it was like being at a bullfighting ring today. And it was almost impossible for the referee to officiate the game calmly. Mm. Well, I think this this week is a is a bit of a theme when it comes to you know, they they deserved a yellow card for this, and and why did we get a yellow card for this, and why did they get a penalty for that, but we didn't get a penalty for this. This this week is just full of these comments from fans, from managers, clearly, so on and so forth. And I think Gasperini is right in the sense that it was soft to call off. Skamaka's goal. It was yeah, absolutely very soft. You, you'll see goals that given around the world at the same date and time. Like, like I, I do think he has every reason to be upset over there. The yellow card situation. Gasp- Gasperini, is this your first time playing against a Mourinho team? That yeah, is exactly yeah. what they do. They get you booked. They do worse than you, and they don't get booked. That is just the and art of a Jose Mourinho team. And he soaks up all the, the referee's attention and takes it away from his players. Exactly, yeah, exactly. He's very clever. Um, he's nuts, The man. fact that Mancini didn't get a yellow this game was crazy. Hey, to hey, hey, hey. He's fucking ballistic. <laughs> if, if you were the, the national team coach, Spalletti, would you call up Mancini? Absolutely. <laughs> For it. sure. Fucking Come on, right. it turns into a scrap you bring Absolutely, on Mancini. Man. Absolutely. And temperamentally... He's smarter nowadays. He's calmed down. He's, he's not good. as yes, yes, but he's not as actually actually yellow card prone as he used to be. No, he's, he's not, not a psychopath. He, he's still a psychopath. It's just he knows how to contain it. I feel. No, I think I think he's he's got militia in him. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, malice. <laughs> militia. Who's Ooh. militia, bro? Why is she? In <laughs> Who is this? Um, I, I think he's got malice in him, but I don't think he loses his mind. Like, I don't think he's gonna um, fucking get, get a red card in, in, in the space of 10 minutes like he used to do in the past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? He's, he's more controlled. He's more mature Absolutely. nowadays. Yeah. 
Roma currently find themselves in 8th place with 29 points, while Atalanta are above them in 7th with 30 points, which just shows what a cagey affair this actually was. There was only one point separating the teams coming into this, and coming out of this, one point still separates these guys. And I would say that that is probably the deserved um, result, because you look at... On one hand, Roma seemed to have the better opportunities. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, Atalanta had a goal disallowed. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's it's a little, there's kind of a balance there. Ah, uh, it's it's interesting when you look at the the expected goals. I don't mm-hmm. typically like like to look at it, but it's just interesting over here. Roma had an XG of 2.07, whereas Atalanta's was 0.74. Absolutely. Yeah. Which is very, very interesting. But then they had that disallowed goal, which exactly. balances it yeah. out. Yeah. So I, I would say it's a fair result. I, I don't think that any team really deserves to go home with all three points here. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Okay. So have you guys thought that that was, that there was controversy in that game, not alone the next one? It's Inter 2, Hellas Verona 1. Now, Lautaro was back in the starting lineup for Inter and DeMarco was at least fit enough to make the bench and come on later on in the match. Uh, Dumfries started ahead of Darmian and Pavard ahead of Bissek. Business as usual for Hellas who only had Hurstic out injured. Um, these sides entered their first match of 2024 in very different positions to say the least. Inter, despite dropping points in their last outing of 2023 in Genoa, were in top spot two points over Juve. Verona, on the other hand, ended the year with a loss to bottom place Salernitana and continued to flirt with the idea of relegation. Now in the 12th minute, Inter opened the scoring through the now fit Lautaro Martinez, who finished with a, who finished very cleverly with his outstep after some good hold-up play by Turam and an excellent pass by Mkhitaryan. They continued to push for a second after the half-time break and thought they doubled their lead through captain Lautaro, but his goal was chalked off after an offside from Acheri in the build-up. Inter continued to dominate possession um, and they continued trying to find a second goal. However, in the 73rd minute, Baroni, the Hellas Verona manager, brought on Henri to replace Juric up front, probably for some more legs. One minute later, in the 74th minute, Henri scored with his first touch of the game after only needing a touch with his tie to beat Jan Sommer after a brilliant cross to the near post by Duda. It was Coppola who won the ball off of Arnautovic to start the counter-attack. He just came on one touch with his fucking thigh and got the equalizer over there for, for Verona. Massive stuff. Um, I want to speak about how Coppola won the ball off of Arnautovic because the difference in how Hellas really brought the game to Inter in this was they were playing with such a high line and Coppola in particular. First, he was really man marking to Ram. And then when Arnautovic came on, he was really man-marking Arnautovic. Mm-hmm. was constantly up their asses, bro. Up their asses. And over there, he did super well. And he really contributed to that goal. In the 78th, Inter almost took the lead after DeMarco's vicious cross-shot free kick was mistakenly cleared off the line by his own teammate in Arnautovic. Another nightmare in the office for Arnautovic. Um, in the 91st minute, Inter once again had the opportunity to take the lead. Acerbi looped the ball over an oncoming Montepo, and all he needed was his striker to get a touch. However, Arnautovic's header struck fresh air, and the ball went wide. Yeah, he, the defender did very well to to zone him out. Um, I, it, it was Coppola actually, so he had a very good game. Coppola. Amazing game, super Coppola. game. Amazing um, game. However, Arnautovic, you know, you've got size over him. You need to do better there, man. You scored. Come on, you scored. And and the, the way he carries himself, man. 
I love the way. I can't stand it. What do you mean? What do you mean? I can't. Stand the way he. I don't even know how to explain <laughs> the way the way he moves. This is what I wish that we filmed yeah. this podcast. I, I can't explain the way this guy moves. Like, like, like he's got this like almost bad boy swag about him. Like you're, you're thirty fucking four years old and all that. Like. Relax. Actually, like, and, and one thing he really did at Bologna, I don't think he's had the confidence to do it yet at Inter, but roll those shorts down. <laughs> Where are they going? Now, he hasn't done it quite yet at Inter. At, at fucking Bologna. Bro, it plays looks in like a he was skirt. playing in tighty whiteies, bro. <laughs> Honestly, it looked like he was playing in tighty whiteies. But enough slander for now. In the 93rd minute, Inter finally took the lead. It was Bastoni's volley from just inside the area that smashed the crossbar and landed to Barella outside the area who unleashed a first-time volley which was spilled by Montepo and tapped in by Frattesi who celebrated with his ass out in front of the Curva North. If you think I'm kidding, fucking go watch it, man, because bro celebrated with his ass out. Now, this goal was controversial as Bastoni can be seen maliciously. Don't ask me if it was elbow or shoulder. I think... There were both. I think he went to barge him. He leaded with his shoulder, with his elbow, but the contact was more from the shoulder. But he could be seen maliciously charging into Duda off the ball just before he struck the bar with his volley. Absolutely. It was, it was a clear foul. Now, Lazovic was sent off for snapping at the referee right after thinking the goal should be chalked off. You're saying you think the goal should have been chalked off? I think it warranted a VAR review at least. At least, no? At least, of course. At least. Of course. That looked to me like a fucking... As, as you said, man, a malicious, malicious. elbow off the ball. Malicious. Off the ball, yeah, yeah. Now, I've, I've obviously read a few opinions mm. about this. A lot of people saying it's not a clear and obvious error. It's malicious. Mm. He, he brought a player down... Out of pure militia, <laughs> out of pure malice, um, he, he knocked him down to the ground, and it led to a goal. Now, the, maybe there is an argument that had enough time passed from. God Pardon bless me. you. It was right yeah, after, man. It, it was right fucking it was right after. Right <laughs> after, he's like he's on the floor while they're scoring, like in the box right next. Yeah. to him. The ball fell to Bastoni, who struck the crossbar. Another shot, third mm. rebound. It was Frattesi. Now, Inter fans, you could you could say, uh, what about what Juve did or what Milan did? Gatti has had moments where he should have also been booked, uh-huh. and we're, he wasn't. We're here example. to discuss moment by moment. What we think, you think what you want, and, and if you think the, that this is a leaderboard of, of who gets the most decisions in their favor, doesn't deserve to win the league, etc., etc., I just think that this was a bad call by the referee. If you disagree, then ask yourself, why was the VAR team demoted to Serie B and the refereeing team were all suspended? Yeah. Ask yourself that question and, 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 and see whether or not we're right to think and that this goal should I'm, have been chalked I'm off. I'm terribly, terribly sorry. But how can Barella, after the referee whistles, pick the ball up and launch it and just boot it outside of San Siro and he doesn't even get a yellow card, man? Like, how, how can he do that? I don't know, man. That. Who knows? Now, I'm not here obviously saying, you know, that, oh, Inter are corrupt and all that. Obviously, we try to be more objective and we try to focus Absolutely. on the game and we try to actually not talk about refereeing decisions. But there are certain moments that make me question um, 
if some players are protected, maybe, you know, like Barella is one of the best Italian talents, so maybe he gets away with doing more, just as, for example, we say that um, Zlatan can talk back to the referee and yeah. get away with it, for yeah. example. Yeah. Um, but this is interesting to see. Um, guess who has the most yellow cards this season in the league? Um, a team, not player. Who has the most yellow cards? The most yellow the most. cards. They, they have 50, just to put things into perspective. Oh, wow. 50 yellow cards. Who is it? It's Juve. Guess who has the fewest with 24? I have an argument, though, there. Definitely Inter. Yeah. Why? Because the second they get a yellow, they get subbed off. Exactly. That's it's, very, it's as, yeah, it's as yeah. simple as that. It's true. They're it's not true, allowed to get a yellow card. But, but you know what's interesting is, well, 24 yellow cards, and three of them were for celebrating by taking off their shirts. So <laughs> but that's a very good point, actually. Um, Inzaghi hates yellow cards, yeah. so he discourages his players from mm-hmm. actually getting them, and the second they get one, they're punished by being subbed off. Uh-huh. I, I think there's, there's certainly good a point. spotlight on Inter and Juve. And, and and for the decisions because they have a history even if we go back to Calciopoli Juve got Calciopoli got, was them pointing the finger at each other saying bad bad a, a, bad exactly it turns out Juve got, got relegated and they were the bad guys but Juve had their guys as 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 part of the, the board and, and of and of Serie A it's this whole thing we're not going to get into it nope. this moment in particular I believe the goal should have been chalked off I think I think Bastoni whether it was an elbow, whether it was a shoulder, he charged him off the ball, brought him to the ground, yes. and they scored right after. Yeah. It led to the goal, but whatever. Ah, we didn't. There, the there's more. The break, dude. There's more. The breakaway. The two v- two players on an empty net was Sanchez and Barella, right? I'm, get, I'm, 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 I'm getting to absolutely everything. In the 96th minute, Verona had Montepo up for a corner kick, which was cleared away by Inter, who had Barella and Alexis approaching an empty net. Together, two men, one on the ball, running up to an empty net, right? Barella released the pass far, far too late. I don't know what the fuck he was doing, and it was a soft pass as well. And Yaya Kalon was back and managed to intercept the pass. However... VAR intervened and found that in Verona's initial corner, Darmian kicked the absolute fuck out of Magnani, who was attempting to clear the ball, and so a last-second penalty was awarded to Verona. Now, Inter fans, Inter fans are coming back and saying, oh, so that was a foul on, on Duda. This shouldn't have been a foul. In that case, this shouldn't have been a foul. On um, Magnani Bullshit <laughs> Bullshit He missed the ball Swung his foot And hit the player Did the player take A couple Did, did he take a step it And then like fall Mike down like Mike from IFTV right? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm going for Did the player take a step Before falling down Yes Yes But The player kicked him In the box Significant kick He swung his foot And it was a foul there's no debate over there That's a penalty yeah. It's a clear fucking foul Okay, it doesn't matter if he takes one step, two steps, three steps Foul Because the contact was significant enough. It's not like he touched him only Significant contact So Verona have the opportunity in the last minute to equalize Who steps up? It's fucking Thomas Henry The guy that came on Scored one minute into entering the pitch with his first touch With his tie he steps up with the clock nearing the 100th minute. He looks worried. He, he looks petrified. Yeah. He looks petrified. But he does a, a, a little steppity step, sent Sommer the wrong way, because he paused and he saw up, 
fumbles his shot where kind of he hits the ball from too high up. He, like the contact was it didn't hit the center of the ball, but hit the top of the ball. The ball kind of took a bubble and bounced and it hit the post. Fullerunshaw came in to head in the rebound and I don't know where he sent it, like, but not on target. And that was the last kick in inverted commas of the game. Inter celebrate and they get away with three points. Um, so first of all, wow, what a game. Crazy, crazy stuff. Crazy, crazy like, I couldn't stuff. get my eyes off it. If you um, had to shit, I, I, bad. I feel sorry for you. Yeah. Um, for me, first of all, Verona played a really good game. Absolutely. I was very impressed by them. They were very organized. Um, I really liked what Suslov and Duda had to offer in the middle. For sure. Um, very good for the Slovakian. Slovakian? Suslov. They're Slovakian, yes. Or Slovak, I believe it is. Um, yes, they are both Slovak. Slovak Djokovic. Um, I really liked what they had to offer. I liked their approach over here. Um, I still think that Inter are struggling without DiMarco, and when he came on, he looked really rusty. <clears throat> it doesn't quite tick as well without him, and they really struggle to to um, transition into attack with without DiMarco. Quite frankly, mm. I do think there's an air of complacency when it comes to Inter at times. Um, we could see this game in particular. Um, with Barella being in that situation, you're one goal up. And all right, granted, you're trying to give a goal to your teammate who have, hasn't scored all season. That's nice. And had he managed to successfully play the ball and it went in and everything counted, he would have been labeled a hero a and a gentleman. Man. Yeah, but you need to score, man. That, that was an easy chance. That was a fucking free goal for you. 3-1, you sealed the deal. Mm-hmm. Imagine what a nightmare had Henri converted that. Barella would be awake every night, like, mm-hmm. you know? I agree with you that they seem a bit, a bit more static without DeMarco. Mm-hmm. It's like their, their flow and their creativity really takes a dip when DeMarco isn't on the pitch. Um, I do believe that with Lautaro, it's, a breath of fresh air that he's, he's back in the team naturally because that front two was far too static especially without the service of DeMarco before they really struggled to find breakthroughs but now they, they can find those breakthroughs um, to me the, the, there was one issue with Inter and this is where I really applaud Verona because Inter when they are pressed and they are pressed adequately and and when you do it the right way, because if you don't commit to the press against Inter, but you've got a high defensive line, for example, they're going to take the piss out of you. They're going to play the ball around you. They're going to attract you outwards, and then they're going to break through. That's how they killed Milan. Milan didn't commit to the press against Inter, but they committed to a high line, and it was strange, mm-hmm. to say the least. Verona committed. Verona had a high defensive line, and Verona pressed the fuck out of Inter. And you know what we say about their midfield? It's great. It's not press resistant. And I think it, it's... We started to see Inter in this game getting those smooth combinations just a little bit off. Just mm-hmm. a little bit off because they didn't have time and space to pull these off. They didn't have the positions and the gaps in defense to play those balls through. I think Verón did a great job of pressing them, putting pressure on them, and... I do think that's why Inter spent the majority of the game getting those tiny details wrong in the build-up to their attacks. 
Yeah, um, absolutely. I, I agree with you. Um, the high line was a brave approach by Verona, but they nailed it. And it was only when Juan Cabal came on that they actually lowered their line. Mm-hmm. Um, it was about the 73rd minute, I believe. Yeah. 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 Okay. Good point. Special shout out goes to Coppola because he was marking the man who, the target man. And the target man isn't Lautaro. The target man is either Turam, Arnautovic, whoever's playing alongside Lautaro, the big boy. And he was particularly not allowing the ball to get to that big boy because that's where, that's where the danger comes within there. The second it hits to Ram, it's going to bounce off him and go to Lautaro. The second it comes to Arnautovic, it's going to bounce off and go to Lautaro or one of the midfielders, for example. And Coppola did not allow them to do that. And he was directly involved in, in uh, the equalizer for that reason. I also want to highlight the performance of Jackson Chachua, mm-hmm. who was absolutely fantastic, bombing up and down that right-hand side, 22-year-old Cameroonian. Um, yeah, he had a very good game, a very, very fast man. Yeah, and, and it's not the first time he's had a, he's had a good game, but it, you know he's, it, it's starting to become a theme now. Yeah, he Chachua. started seven games this season. Also, his name sounds like you're taking a photo. Chachua. Chachua. Um, just one more thing is why do Inter dip in January, February? Because it's cold, man. <laughs> you think? No. I have no idea. It's it's season. It's, it's, a, ah, it's, it's a always season, the case. Eh? I, I, we would like to hear what you guys think because I'm, I'm honestly stumped. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it could be. Um, that it, two seasons ago, I remember I was in Valletta, Queen Vic, mm-hmm. and I was hanging out with. I'm not going to say names, but Key's best friends, group of friends. Okay. And I got obliterated. I told them for every Sambuca I wore, they're I'm going to chug two. <laughs> I don't know two. what it the... was more. Huh? He said three for each one, no? Was it three, man? <laughs> I'm going to need to ask Key. I got, I got fucked up. Because Sassuolo were kicking the shit out of Inter throughout the entire game. I think they beat them 2-1, 3-1, I think it was a couple of seasons ago. But that was February, you know what I mean? January, February, Inter take a a little dip. As in, we'll see, it's the 9th of January. But yeah, let us know what you think and and why that is. Inter are still first, um, just two points above Juve with 48 points. Whilst Veron are in 18th, now in the relegation zone on 14 points. And you know what? Just one point. Ahead of Empoli in 19th and just two points ahead of Salernitana in 20th. Yeah, um, Salernitana took on Juventus at home after the trashing um, in the Coppa Italia mm-hmm. by Juve 6-1. Um, and this time Allegri made it very clear before the game that um, it was going to be a different side that they were going to be facing than the one that they smashed just three days prior. And mm. oh, how right he was as Juve managed to edge it at the death with the score of 2-1 away from home. Of course, now it was a 4-4-2 system for Salernitana, a very clever um, approach by Pippo Anzaghi, in my opinion. Um, I really liked the way that um, Simi played this game. Simi, man, I take my hat off to him. I shat on him recently in the last few episodes, um, saying that he 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 hasn't really been doing anything mm-hmm. and everything he touches turns to shit. It's true on the ball he hasn't been exactly great, but he has shut out Juve, the, the machine that is Juve on his own. Yeah. He stood in front of Nicolucci all game and didn't let him do anything. Nope. Nothing. Didn't even give him a breath of air. Like Yeah. They ended up taking him out and then they took out Nicolucci yeah. um, and they brought on... 
I believe they brought on a, a, a forward. Uh, M- Milik. Milik, yeah. there you go. And then shortly there after, it was Simi's turn to go off. Yeah. And then they conceded the winner. <laughs> but yeah. Um, for, yeah, so it was Chauna and Simi up front. And then, uh, sorry, it wasn't a 4-4-2, my bad. It's a 3-5-2, of course. 3-5-2. Mm. Um, with Costil, Danilo, Lich, Gyomber, and Fazio at the back. Costil, yeah, literally going man for man here. Yeah, so literally, 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 literally. Man for man marking. Um, Kondreva playing in the midfield role and brother starting out wide. For Juve, it was also a 3-5-2, of course, with Yildiz and Vlaovic up front, Nicolusi in the middle. Wea this time started on the right and Costil on the left and other than that business as usual now in the 39th minute Majore curled the ball into the far top corner of the net from the edge of the area his first ever goal for Salernitana and that pretty much ended the first half let's play a game of guess the XG what do you think Juve's XG was at the end of the first half I think really low Hmm. it must have been low no yeah yeah zero point Zero point zero. No, no, no. Zero point two. Zero point two nine. Yes, very, nice. very, very low. Okay, so Juve pretty much couldn't do anything mm. in the first half, and Salernitana were way too organized for them. The second half started with McKenny failing to hit the target from point blank range, and in the fifty fourth minute, Maggiore got his second yellow. Um, he could be seen crying in the tunnel. It was such a reckless and stupid foul charging into Rubio the way he did in my yep. opinion, bro. Yeah, yep. come on. Like, you're on a yellow card, you charge it, you lunge in like that. I guess he was gassed after his goal. He was probably fueled on adrenaline and feeling invincible at the time, you know, but, mm-hmm. but I was so reckless and inexperienced. And as the commentator said, Majore, you are not a young player anymore. You were the captain of Spezia. You have a lot of pedigree. You need to do better in situations yep. like this because you cost your team. Mm-hmm. You cost, it, that was the turning point. Exactly. From from hero to zero, unfortunately. Yep. And we've had a few of those. Henri as well. Yeah. And the 65th minute from zero to hero, of course, we have Samuel Illing Jr. Remember him? Yeah. He came on playing in midfield Vaguely. and he equalized for Juve after Vlaovic's scuffed shot ended up being an accidental assist. That was funny. Yeah. That's what it was. That's he hit was. that shot with so much might and just <laughs> like... <laughs> like Lenny from The Simpsons playing tennis before. <laughs> yeah, that was hilarious. But yeah, um, an accidental assist for for Vlaovic, um, who really plays, by the way, with his heart on his sleeve. Yes, bro. Yes, yes, yes. He, you can, you. He makes you. He didn't have that last season, huh? He looks hungrier this year. And, and there's stuck. there's this team sp- smells like team spirit, bro. Yeah. At you, very fucking now. right. It's fucking. They're they're doing. They have this certain passion, and camaraderie about mm. them that, that's really infectious man at yeah. the moment yeah. and I think Vlaovic is spearheading that to be mm-hmm. honest and even though he was playing quite poorly he doesn't seem to let it get to him he celebrates as hard as he possibly can mm-hmm. he fucking tries and tries and tries he's really an inspiration uh-huh. and there was those one game in particular like where he missed an easy chance someone scored the rebound and he celebrated his head yeah, off yeah, you'd yeah. see so many players being disappointed that they didn't finish that off of themselves Absolutely. In the 91st minute, Danilo, one of the unsung heroes of Juventus, won the ball out wide and urgently whipped the ball into Vlaovic. It was a perfect cross. He didn't really have much time to tee it up. Mm-hmm. He, he won the ball back, whipped it in, and Vlaovic slotted the ball into the back of the net with his head and went on to remove two layers of clothing. Yes, um, yes. Really, which is the only right way to take your top it's off. It's the only right way. If you're wearing an undershirt, that has to go off too. Yep. 
Yep. Or else you're getting a yellow card for nothing. Exactly. You know, you know what's funny as well? If you get subbed off and after your number goes up, you take off your T-shirt, you don't get a yellow card. After you subbed off, of course not, bro. Come on. But like, like, but, but you know, like taking your, your shirt off after you score and taking your shirt off after you're substituted are obviously different But isn't different the whole point of it um, public indecency? It's the fact that like... Or no, is I, it that you're wearing a uniform? I... I to be honest, I don't know why exactly they're, uh, I, I think it's because they are playing the match and they're fucking removing their kit while they're, while they're playing. And I think there's also public indecency mm-hmm. while, while yeah. they're on the pitch. But, but if you get subbed off and you take off your shirt, it's still publicly indecent. Doesn't matter if you're fucking playing or if you're walking no, off the bench. I think, I think, I think you're your... fishing a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember Mirko Vucinic? Yes, of he course. He used to I take off his Vucinic. shorts. When he scored, or he did it once, right? I think he had done it, Yeah, absolutely amazing. Mm. Now, um, yes, for me, Salernitana got their goal by exploiting the space behind Juve's defense, bro. Mm. Um, they set up defensively, Salernitana. They were compact, but they launched counterattacks through quick transitions. Majora's goal is a perfect example of this, where you exactly. really see Salernitana exploiting the space on the counter. Mm-hmm. Um Juve pressed and attacked after the red card. It became really complicated for Salernitana and Juve just managed to exploit the wings and push higher up the pitch. Mm-hmm. Only three shots on, on target for Juve in this game. And that brings us to the Corto Musa point, right? Which I don't think we've ever actually mentioned this um, no. on this podcast. No. Um, Allegri has this famous interview where he talks about horse racing and how he says that the fastest horse wins and they never, like, it all counts from the muzzle, mm-hmm. you know? It never actually, no one comes and tells you, ah, you won by three centimeters, or ah, you won by 30 centimeters. What matters is that you win. Yeah. And that's the comparison that he likes to, he likes to draw. There was an AI version of that interview where they translated it to English using Allegri's voice. And it's just so funny. I'm going to yeah. play it. I love Allegri's yeah. voice. It's enough to have the nose in front. There's no need to win by 100. Nose in front, the muzzle, photograph, short muzzle, simple. What you lose by a short muzzle, what you lose by a short muzzle comes in second. What you win by a short muzzle first. Then it's not like they write, I won by 30. First short snout, then 84. If Napoli doesn't win them all, it's enough and more. Does he have like a toothpick in his mouth, (laughs) a cigarette in his hands, and he's calling me pal? He's just the coolest, bro. (laughs) (laughs) He's just the coolest, you know. But yeah, um, bro, let's talk a little bit about how Juve had seven players on the bench and two of them were keepers. It's crazy, especially when you consider that they're only playing the the two competitions uh, and they're they're this... (laughs) narrow as a squad obviously they've got Chiesa Keane Cambiaso Sandro Deshil and Deshilio out injured and Locatelli was suspended for this game um, and obviously they've also got Pogba and Fagioli who are, Pogba's finished and, and Fagioli's finished at least for the rest of the season no. so so I guess that explains it but you know, yeah, have have uh, have they not got one of the best youth systems in the world? Where are the 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 youths on the I on mean, the bench? They're, they're around, right? Um, that's a fair point. Why why aren't they on the bench? 
Um, but I, I believe, mean, that when they must have thought that this this would be enough to get them over the line against Salernitana. Um, a last-minute injury, of course, for Chiesa. Not not very good for him, man. He's really uh, he's really struggling with injuries since his ACL. Is is he gonna live up to his potential? Is the question because if he keeps fucking getting these injuries, not having a single full season, man, it's gonna be tough. Absolutely. And he has competition now. It's not like before. There's Soler coming back. There's Yildiz nowadays. Yeah. Um, he he definitely needs to needs to just like reevaluate the way he trains and the way he plays because the more you hold the ball, the more you run with the ball, the more you, the, the fucking faster you run with the yeah. ball, the harder you get. He's the hardest worker eh, on, that, on that pitch, and then his play style just invites flying challenges exactly. him to get kicked, you know, and and it's not going to end well for him at this rate. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, on a positive note for Juventus, Danilo, I mentioned he's one of the most underrated players. He had the most touches, the most key passes and the best pass rate. However, he has looked a little bit shaky defensively at times, but Mm. his importance is, um, it can't be understated. Yeah, absolutely, man. He's one hell of a leader. He's grown a lot defensively. Um, I I know you mentioned inconsistencies, but I do feel like he's brushed up on on a lot of those. Um, Yeah, great, great defender, their captain and... Fantastic assist in this game, helping out offensively. Yeah, um, Juve currently find themselves in second with 46 points, just two points off of top of the table Inter, while Salernitana are all the way in 20th with 12 points. So next up is Empoli nil Milan 3. Now following the injury of Tomori, the Rossoneri left the returning Matteo Gabbia on the bench, starting to Hernandez in central defence alongside Simon Kier with Florenzi at left back. At least kept him for Ben Nasser, who is at AFCON. Empoli had Luperto at left-back due to Kakache's ban following an accumulation of yellow cards. Uh, Milan were coming off a dominant midweek display in the Coppa Italia versus Cagliari, where they won 4-1, featuring a great number of youngsters. Now, Milan dominated from the get-go and opened the scoring in the 11th minute after Leao did Leao things before squaring it to Ruben Loftus-Cheek, who hit the back of the net with a cool, calm and composed finish. In the 29th minute, the referee was summoned by VAR to spot a clumsy handball by Malé inside his own area, where his hands were in the air like he was fucking tonight. Giroud smashed the penalty in off the crossbar, just the way Jake likes his penalties with zero bullshit. In the 35th minute, Florenzi went off injured and was replaced by the young, bright Jimenez. Um, Scans have revealed um, that there is no muscle injury and that Florenzi will only be out for the Coppa, so he should be back quite soon for Milan. Teo had two splendid last-ditch blocks to deny Cambiaghi and Caputo as Empoli started to pick up momentum. However, Milan got their third in the 87th minute through Chaka Traore, who finished very cleanly after Pulisic did wonders turning defence into attack. That's his second goal of the week, his first goal in the Coppa Italia and his first goal in Serie A. What a week it's been for Chaka Traore, bro. Amazing week. And prior to this, he had only had three appearances in the top flight for Parma, of course, at the age of mm. 16 years old. I was like, oh, what? Two years ago now? Two years ago. Yeah, I around, yeah. I think three years ago because he's now 19. Yeah, but yeah. Okay. Um, he, he's showing good progress, man. And it has to be said, I liked the way Milan set up this game. I liked the way Leao played. This is where, that, that first goal is a prime example of how Leao should be deployed. Yeah, and, and he's up against Abuehi. Exactly. Abuehi is, is very physical and, and, and he's a quick player as well. But Leao made quick work of him with that sudden change of pace, and knocking the ball forward. In that position the halfway line with space he can take on anyone in the world 
mm-hmm. because he has the skill set to do so. He has the physicality and he has the raw power. Yeah. Um, he almost seems like a different species to the others out there mm-hmm. when when he's charging like that. And that's what we need to see, man. We need to see Leao charging, taking the ball to the byline, maybe cutting inside last second and kind of just playing it into the area. Yeah. Or, or maybe just teeing himself up for a shot on goal. Mm-hmm. But none of this um, long-range shooting, that's not his, no. his game at all. No, yeah. no. This is where Leao is effective and, and he did a good job um, sticking to that in this game. I think... Loftus cheek was back to his best mm-hmm. in this game. I think a large part of that has to do with the way that he was deployed in this game and the space in which Giroud in particular was creating for him uh, to be that second man running into the box. Um, that shows perfectly in the first goal. I mean, when Leao plays that ball back, it's not always a calculated pass. A lot of the time after you take on a man like that to the byland, you're moving at that pace. There's not always time to look up and pick out the right pass. But if you knock it into that area and you know that Ruben Loftus-Cheek is the last man running into the box, then there's a bloody good chance that that's going to be a goal. And Loftus-Cheek had many of those moments in this game. He had many moments where he was running at the defense um, past the midfield. So between the midfield at the defense and he's charging at them. Mm-hmm. These are the areas where he is most dangerous. We know mm-hmm. that Milan don't have many defensive players in midfield. Um, but in this case, I, I, I do believe that although Loftus-Cheek is the most physical midfielder that Milan have, he's best closer to goal and, and he's best charging forward, like the absolute fucking horse that he is. Yeah, I really liked Milan's midfield this game. I thought Reinders was incredible. Mm-hmm. I don't think he put a foot wrong this game. Adley just has a very attractive play style. He's such a fun player to watch mm-hmm. and... I don't know, man. He reminds me a lot of Pirlo, it has to be said. I, I, I have a point here that says, I doubt anyone has ever needed to tell Adli to relax ever in his life. <laughs> he's so calm. He's, uh, that, that's what you mean by the, obviously, yeah. the, the very generous Pirlo comparison. The, the balls over the top, man. Like, I haven't seen a midfielder with that play style in a very long time. Where yeah. We're just like, he's always looking up. He's direct. He'll switch the play. He's willing to play it down to any flank. And his long balls are very mm-hmm. accurate as well. And I don't think he missed any of them this game. No, I, I, I don't think so. He was absolutely fantastic in this game, Adli. And I do think that he is the answer for when Ben Nasser is, is out at AFCON. Mm. It's not Kronich. I, I believe that the best balance Milan have is when he's on the, is when he's on the pitch and obviously when Ben Nasser isn't there. Cause Musa, he's a bit more of a box to box. He loves going forward, Musa. Mm. So I do believe that this is the best balance that Milan have. Um, Milan were 2-0 up at half time. They brought on youngsters. They not only went on to win the game, but one of the youngsters actually scored. It's a great start to, to 2024 for Milan. And these are the opportunities that the Coppa Italia gives you. Because obviously Florenzi went off injured and suddenly Milan are like, okay, we are now confident that we have Jimenez that can step in. Yeah. Take Leao off to rest him with Coppa Italia coming up against Atalanta midweek, we are now confident that Chaka Traore can play and he can put in a shift. Milan yeah. now know that they have these players to their arsenal. Absolutely, yes, 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 very good point. Um, the players showed that they're ready. Mm-hmm. Milan have 
young reinforcements in pretty much every department as it stands. Um, Kamara obviously showed he wasn't quite up for it. Um, he's still only 15, 15 years old. Years old like, um, but when it comes to Chakatra or uh, Jimenez, Simic, they look yeah. amazing. Mm-hmm. They look amazing. And, yeah. and with this whole growth decree thing, um, with, with, you know, teams being unable to bring in players, high-profile players from overseas, development is going to be very important. And this mm-hmm. is a very promising sign formula. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I do think that um, there there's, a, there's a, a sense of community within those young players as well. You look at Simic, you look at Jimenez, you look at Chaka Traore, you look at all these guys, it seems like they're hyping each other up as well. They're yeah. hanging out before and after the game, sharing handshakes, hugging. Leao seems like a bit of a big brother slash father uh-huh. figure to them. There's a sense of unity, which I think Milan had lost in the earlier stages of the season when Pioli was naturally falling out of favour. Um, but but yeah, I, I do think that next season we'll still see Pioli out. But, but it does seem like Milan have a bit more consistency. I know they haven't faced the, the strongest opponents. But keeping two clean sheets in a row, scoring four goals in the Coppa Italia... You know, it's mm-hmm. it's it's good signs for the second half of the yes, season. And the team's only going to get better because this is a very depleted Milan side. So, yeah, the squad's going to be quite deep mm-hmm. um, going into the remaining of, yeah. of the season. Teo Hernandez at centre-back. Yes. Um, I thought he was fucking good was in this fun. game. I thought he was fantastic. Those two blocks that he had um, and just his tackling and his maturity at and the back. the duels, man. He yeah. won most of them. He's adding five years to his career by yeah. being able <laughs> yeah, to play yeah, centre-back. Yeah. Because there's no way he could keep that up as a left-back for, for his career. But honestly, I do see a future for him, particularly um, a, a, as a left centre-back or as a centre-back in, in general. And obviously, while he's in his prime, play him on the wing because mm-hmm. he's far too dangerous to drop in that in that area. But hey, when a situation like this comes about, it's good to know that you could rely on him as a centre-back. Yes, and to think that people thought that the natural progression for Theo Hernandez was to play on the wing. Yeah, When there you in, go. in reality, he transitioned to centre-back when yeah. Milan needed him the most. Um, super player. Um, I honestly was surprised by his willingness to help the team and I have been surprised by his loyalty and his professionalism because... I don't know, maybe, maybe this is why you should never judge a book by its cover, but he just seems like he wouldn't be that type of person, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, he seems like... like because he's more he's of a troublemaker, he exactly. seems arrogant, but, but he totally isn't. He's a team player, he's a professional, and he's he's a great example for, for yeah, young, man. young players. Yeah, man. He, he Keep in mind, he joined just post-Banter era. Literally, as the, the second it was ending, Teo Hernandez was, was brought in. He's one of the massive reasons Milan are out of it, and... The, so far, he seems loyal. Yeah. I do think that Jimenez needs to change his bio on Instagram. Jugador <laughs> del, del Real Madrid, Onalono, oh, at, no. at AC Milan. No, no, bro. <laughs> Milan player, Milan player. Come on. Um, Milan are now linked. Well, Milan have completed the signing of Terracciano, um, a very versatile young Italian player that can play... Um, at right back, he can play at central midfield mm-hmm. as well. And, and, you know, Fiorentina wanted him and a couple other teams wanted him. I'm not too sure who. Milan are now closing in on Popovic, a young mm-hmm. Serbian forward, um, a talent that was also wanted by 
Real or Man City, I can't remember. I think Man City. Yeah, I believe it was Man City. Naturally, he'd be that third-choice striker that Milan so desperately need at the moment. Uh, Milan also looking, obviously, to bring more defenders in, with Dragusin being mentioned as Milan attempt to hijack his move to Tottenham, but it doesn't look very likely. It looks like, literally, as we speak, he's on the plane on the way there. Bongiorno is a name that's being mentioned. As you guys would know, people that listen to Serie A Spotlight, these are two players that I rate. I, I, I couldn't rate higher as, as centre-backs, as young centre-backs. Milan also interested and inquiring about Ngonj. Not quite sure why Milan would need Ngonj. I guess they're just testing the waters. They're probably aware of the situation at Las Verona. They inquired about Terracciano and made it happen. And they asked about Ngonj at the time simply because he's a... He's a good talent, and yeah. for a fair price, he might be worth it. He might be a coup, you know? Yeah, I think so. Milan find themselves in third place on 39 points, seven behind Juve, um, nine behind Inter, whilst Empoli are in 19th place on 13 points, one above Salernitana and one below Verona. So last weekend, Torino faced Napoli, mm-hmm. and the previous five matches between Torino and Napoli resulted in Napoli winning all five of them, Whoa. and um, Torino scoring only one goal. Last weekend, Torino smashed Napoli 3-0 at home. What a performance yeah. by Torino. Fantastic performance by Torino. They were by far the better team. You would have thought that they were the defending champ- champions this game. Yeah. Um, for Torino, it was a 3-4-1-2 formation with Sanabria and Zapata up front with Vlasic playing behind them, Lazar out on the left and the ever-impressive Raul Bellanova playing out on the right with Richie and Illich playing as a really good double pivot. Man. Absolutely. Super double pivot. And Ricardo Rodriguez, Gigi and Buongiorno at the back. For Napoli, it was a 4-3-3 with Juan Jesus and Rahmani at the back. Mario Rui returns at, at left-back. Cayuste start in the midfield alongside Lobotka and Zielinski. Gvaratskelia, Raspadori and Politano were up front, of course. Anguissa and Ozimen are away at AFCON. Yeah. Uh, Golini was also in goal. The goalkeeper, full-time goalkeeper, part-time rapper. Yeah. Um, who's been injured. Yes, if you haven't seen... Um, Golini's music videos you should look them up on YouTube they're quite entertaining bro he has one on the Spurs stadium roof he's on top can you imagine him asking for that he's like listen guys um, I have this thing I don't I do rap okay I'm a rapper Um, can I borrow the stadium (laughs) how do you make that work I I don't think it sounds like that considering he's a rapper it's probably start the conversation Uh, yo yo Yo, Mr. Gaffer man. Listen up, yo. <laughs> so yes, um, the first half, Torino were solid. They were testing Napoli's defense early on, particularly through Zapata. An early shot that was saved by Golini. Vlasic missed a golden opportunity shooting high in front of an open goal. Um, referee Mariani in the first half missed a potential penalty call after Lobotka seemed to foul Vlasic inside the box. Napoli struggled to break through Torino's defence. Raspadori had a few attempts, which included a saved shot by Milinkovic Savage, and later an attempt wide. Sanabria eventually broke the deadlock for Torino on the 43rd minute, slotting in a goal from Zapata's assist. In the second half, the new arrival by Napoli was introduced. Yeah. Um, Pasquale Mazzocchi came on for Piotr Zielinski. Mazzocchi arriving from Salernitana. I'm sure if you have a Twitter account or if you're active on social media, you read all the stories that Matsuki was a lifelong Napoli fan. He was a kid born in Naples and he always supported Napoli and this was a move and a dream come true for him. Um, but his dream come true quickly became 
a nightmare. <laughs> As literally just four minutes, four minutes into his debut, he received a straight red card for a dangerous tackle on Lazaro, studs up and it reduced Napoli to 10 men. Um, the ho- most horrible part of all this is it happened on the other side of the pitch, so he had to do the whole walk of shame you yeah. know, down the middle of the pitch. Yeah. I found that change interesting to start with Zielinski. When Napoli needed a goal, they, they took out Zielinski, they brought on Mazzocchi. I could only imagine that they must have changed to a three at the back formation with mm-hmm. Rui I, as a left wing. Yes, back. I think so. And that's what Mazzari knows best. So he probably. It's so desperate right now, the situation at Napoli, that he's reverting to what he knows best yeah. because the team clearly isn't showing that they have the muscle memory to play a 4 3 3 because they haven't scored a single goal in what now, four games in Napoli? It's, it's, crazy, it's mad. It's yeah. madness. Torino capitalized, of course, on the numerical advantage. They're a very organized side, and Vlasic scored a goal after receiving um, quite a lot of space on the edge of the box and he slotted it in. Um, Bongiorno headed in a goal from a corner and the match was briefly interrupted later on due to Napoli fans throwing rockets and fireworks onto the pitch in frustration. So yes, um, Torino approached the game defensively. They Mm -hmm. set up defensively. They remained compact and organized. They allowed Napoli very minimal space to create chances. Their compactness in midfield disrupted Napoli's rhythm and build-up play, quite frankly. Um, Napoli, of course, they struggled to find rhythm. Their attempts to break the resilient Torino side were thwarted, <laughs> which resulted to basically very, very few attempts on goal. They only had three attempts on goal to Torino's nine. Now, um, what what do you think, bro? What did you make of this? Usually, Torino, we we, we talk about them being a low-scoring side. Uh huh. But you know. They beat Atalanta 3-0 not too long ago, and now they beat the defending champions, Napoli, 3-0 as well. Um, I think this team, Torino, uh, uh, as a team, they are capable of a lot. They are capable of, of, of challenging some of the best teams in the league because they're very organized. And hey, if they show that they can attack in this manner, then kudos to them. I think they, like you said, they prioritized the approach where, hey, let's not concede. But the second they were breaking down Napoli's play so well and they created space for themselves through the counterattacks, um, um, through set plays as well, through Zapata's very clever knockdowns in the mm. area as well, outmuscling the very shaky defense of Rahmani and Juan Jesus. And I think Torino exposed the fuck out of everything Napoli have that's going wrong with them at the moment. One question I want to ask you about Napoli. Do you think they, I I know the answer, do you think they hit the panic button and brought in Mazzocchi for Rudy Garcia? Mazzari, Mazzari. My my God, I keep saying that. (laughs) They brought on Mazzari um, in place for Rudy Garcia a bit prematurely. Oh, um, yes. Yes, I mean, if you employ a coach, you know, uh, and, and it's not going exactly the plan, you, you need to, I, I think, I think De Laurentiis needed to really, really, really see what his priorities were and his expectations were for Rudy Garcia, because if he expected Rudy Garcia to challenge for the title again, then that might have been a little bit naive, because of mm-hmm. course Spalletti was a leader at the team, we talked about this before. Um, were they premature to let him go without an adequate replacement? I would say yes. I don't think that's a very good idea. They settled for Mazzari because 
the idea was that he would bring defensive solidarity and it seemed to be the case, but now it just completely collapses. Baptism of fire um, seems to completely demotivate the players. There's a psychological block in the players at Napoli right now. The two of their key players are away at AFCON, um, Raspadori. Um, is being relied on to get the goals and he's never actually been the guy to get the main guy yeah. to get the goals. He's usually yeah. been the guy to enter and get you a goal or the guy who's playing, um, you know, at Sassuolo, he had Berardi, for example, there, yeah. who was the main guy. You know, he's always been uh-huh. a support player. And, and he has never been prioritized as the starting striker. Exactly. Sometimes he plays off the left, sometimes he plays behind the striker. You know, that's the way that at least Spalletti like to utilize him. Absolutely. Um Yes, I think as it stands right now, De Laurentiis, granted, he's taken the blame for what's happening at Napoli. I mean, of course, he didn't really have to yeah. say that everyone knew. Um, I don't know what, what they should do now, honestly. I think that De Laurentiis is in a pickle. I mm-hmm. think that right now the fans have every right to protest. Um, should he sack Mazzari? What, what, what the hell do you do now? That's what the fans want. Yeah. The, the fans want Mazzari out bring, now. To bring but... in who? What the hell are you, you need? They, they, they were going to bring in Tudor, but they couldn't quite mm. agree. They even spoke to Motta, but mm. they couldn't guarantee him that he'd, he'd mm. have full control of the transfer market. Yeah, exactly. You know, Last uh, summer, they could have brought him yeah, in. Yeah, it seems that he still wants to be the main guy, De Laurentiis, and that's that's, mm-hmm. that's obviously... He needs a yes-man, and Mazzari's a yes-man, and that's what he got. And look what a yes-man gives you. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Torino, on the other hand, brother, um, three, four, one, two. This is a nice little system for them. They've got Zapata and Sanabria starting with Vlasic behind them. That, to me, is the way... I didn't originally think that this was the way they should be playing necessarily, but it's safe to say that uh, Juric has definitely figured out his um, goal-scoring problems, right? Torino's goal-scoring problems. Yeah, I think, I mean, when you have a player as creative as Vlasic behind, you know, Sanabria, that is quite an all-rounder up front. We always said... him a 10, right? Exactly. We said he's um, a striker with the movement of an attacking midfielder, you know? Um, And that's exactly what he is. He's he's creative and he's one hell of a finisher as well, Sanabria. Alongside Duvan Zapata, that just gives them that target man and that outlet that can really create space for Sanabria and who could really hold up play and knock it down to someone who's got a, a shot on him. Whether it's Illich, whether it's Richie, whether it's Vlasic, these are all capable players of, of having a strike from distance. Yeah. Um, and and their, their approach in this game was brilliant, Torino. If, if they If they keep going, if they keep playing the way in which they're playing, which is a bit more fearless when going forward and being that bit more direct... Then I think they they could do a very good job this season, and and he could turn that frown upside down. <laughs> Beautifully said, bro. <laughs> <laughs> he was crying. I mean, it's it's a few, he, he a was, few weeks ago, he, he was, was crying. Now Atalanta and Napoli three nil, both of them. A both. month in football both. is the equivalent to a year in any other career exactly. or profession. Now, Napoli, let's say Napoli are shit, mm-hmm. and I mean they're ninth. Torino beat them 3 0. Let's say Napoli are shit. Sure. What are Atalanta? I think Atalanta was an easy game for mm-hmm. Torino. Yeah, no, they, he's definitely figured it out over here. I think he has a really nice team, man. I, like, I think so. All round, you know, there are, there are players that are ticking. Elich and Ricci are a really nice midfield duo. Two very smart signings by Torino to get them nice and young. Two, one from Hellas Verona, the other one from Empoli, you know, just bringing them in and all of a sudden you've got this 
exciting double pivot. Mm-hmm. You've got Bellanova, who was another exciting coup for them. You know, you see Inter don't want this guy. Inter brought him in. He, might, he must have mm-hmm. something. He's a Milan youth product, this guy. He played. He left Milan. He went to France, came back to Italy, didn't quite cut it. I believe he was playing. Was it Cagliari? I'm not sure. He was playing at another lowly team before. Mm-hmm. Before. Um, yeah, he, he was on loan at, at Cagliari. I believe he was also on loan at, at Atalanta and, and Pescara yes, as well. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, another smart signing by them, and he's been he's been pivotal for them. He's been the the horse down the down the flank, you know, just attacking and charging tirelessly all game. Yeah, but yeah, Torino, in my opinion, deserved all three points. By far, the better team over here. The Napoli players need to start looking at themselves and say we need to do better as yeah. well because it's not just the fucking manager no. that should be getting all the blame. We're out there and we're getting embarrassed. Mm-hmm. Um, Matsuki needs to put this behind him and try to get over it because. Because what happened to him there is traumatic and he needs to talk about it in therapy. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Other than that, of course, Napoli find themselves in ninth with 28 points, while Torino are in 10th with 27 points, still alive in the race for mm-hmm. Europe. As we mentioned, these are early days and anything can happen. Yeah. Time could pass and Torino could replace Bologna mm-hmm. up there in that fifth spot. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, we said Torino are missionary. Missionary I think, works. I think what they've done here, they raised one of the legs, bro. Oh, yeah. Now they could that raise the other the leg and they can really plow. And finish top four. And finish top four. Yes. That's it, man. That's it. Brilliant. That was that was poetic. Yeah, there's um, a reason missionary is one of the most famous positions, right? Ah, we've got a, a missionary advocate over here. Jake Fennec, ladies and gentlemen. Loves a good mish. Congratulations, bro. You're gonna miss your bitch, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> Next up, bro, Udinese 1, Lazio 2. Udinese again, ah, they're, they're, as they, they are also turning the tide slightly and showing us that they can score goals. Mm-hmm. Um, the Aquile ended 2023 with back-to-back wins over Empoli and Frosinone, but we're still missing Shiro Immobile and Luis Alberto with Manuel Lazzari returning from a two-match ban. Isaacson started ahead of Anderson, the other streaky Anderson, and Pellegrini started at left back with Marusic at right back. I do have to re-emphasize Ciro Mobile and Luis Alberto were still missing for this game. The Friulani left out Samarzic ahead of his likely transfer to Napoli, along with the usual massive injury list including Bijol, Ebosse, Zemura, Brenner, Pafundi and Delafeu. They concluded 2023 with a shock 3-0 victory over Bologna, only their second victory of the whole season. Once again, Udinese Udinese opted to start Odeye ahead of Silvestri in goal. Now in the 12th minute, Lazio opened the scoring thanks to a sneaky low left-footed free-kick by Pellegrini into the keeper's bottom corner on his side. It looked like Rovella was stepping up to go over the wall, only to deceive the defending team Mm. and the commentator, as we previously said. In the 59th minute, Udinese found themselves an equaliser as Loverich played his free kick low into a busy area and Wallace managed to get a touch into the back of the net amidst all the bodies that were positioned over there. I swear to God, if you look at that goal, you wouldn't know who scored it, but Wallace claimed it and every platform gave it to Wallace. <laughs> it looked like no one touched it, but at the same time, everyone touched it. Hey, hey, hey. It's like everyone struck out a leg, but uh-huh. it, it didn't really change much. In the 75th, Lazio regained the lead as substitute Vecino finished very well after good work by Castellanos and Anderson linking up. 
Vecino, the guy that only scores winners, got another winner over here as Lazio find themselves a bit of a better position nowadays. It's a long season, but they were in the bottom half for a while. They're mm. shooting. They, they've shot up now to seventh, and yes. they're, they're level on points with Atalanta. And we need to praise Sarri because his Absolutely. in-game management has been great, man. Honestly, like this is another substitution that worked for him. Got yeah. him the winner, you know. Not yeah. to mention a, a free kick routine got him them the first goal as well. That's all from the coach, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that Sarri is once again he seems he's a forgotten coach. Mm-hmm. You know, people forget the style that all of Europe was raving about a few years ago. Now everyone's talking about Deserbi. Let's mm. not remember that a few years ago, Sarri was Deserbi. Sarri ball. Sarri ball, exactly. So so it's nice to see that he's finally got these guys ticking. Um, and honestly, they, they, should be, they should be strong, especially if they exit from the Champions League. Um, they're going to be a threat in the league. Yeah, and keep in mind, this is a team that finished second last season and they were, on the day, they were spectacular they killed Milan last year they killed a couple of teams they beat Napoli I I believe they were the first team last year to beat Napoli um, in January and it was a Vecino goal they beat Inter a few times I think they beat beat Inter a a couple of times in the past few seasons all three ones Um, yeah I have an interesting fact about that free kick goal Mm -hmm. um, um, by Pellegrini the last time a Lazio defender scored a direct free kick was back in 2006. And it was Massimo Oddo. Massimo Oddo. That scored it. The guy Massimo that whenever Oddo. you read whatever was written on shit, it was oh, yeah. 44. Here's oh. <laughs> <laughs> that font, right? It just looked like yeah. four rows. Oh. I have a memory of Oddo scoring a penalty against Milan in the later point of his career and celebrating like a madman. Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, don't I remember, remember it that. quite clearly. I don't remember that. I don't know who he was with, I believe. Could it be Lecce? I believe he must have had the spell at Lecce. I'll check that while you get to yeah. the next point. When you think about this starting eleven of Lazio, they have seven players who have their debut season at Lazio this year. There's mm. there's Gila who started this game as Romagnoli still finding his fitness. Um, Pellegrini, Guendouzi, Rovella, Camada, which is their entire midfield. Isaacson and Tati Castellanos. Seven new players. It's it's no wonder they were off to a to a slow start. Course, and they've yes, got yes. Chira out, they've got Alberto out, and they obviously they they also lost Sergei. Like I I believe this resurgence of Lazio is not really a resurgence, but rather they just needed their time to to work Sari system, which is a tough system to to get used to, man. Yes, yes, for sure. And the league is a difficult one to adapt to. And, and many mm. of these guys came from different leagues. Yeah. Um, you know, Kamada, Isaacsen, Castellanos, Guendouzi, Pellegrini, Gila, they all came from different leagues. Yeah. So there was a quite the adaptation period. Um, it, it's great. And winning away from home at Udinese is no easy feat. We've no. seen what Udine- Udinese are capable of doing. They've got like a record amount of draws this season. Mm. It's crazy. Um, so yeah, respect to Sarri and respect to Lazio. Also, by the way, on the Massimo Oddo point, I, I googled it. Um, in 2012, Oddo left Milan mm-hmm. and went to Bayern Munich, where he was, he was loaned to Bayern Munich. Oh, I remember that. That yeah. I remember. And then there, there was, and then he was loaned out again, 
um, to Lecce, where he had 27 appearances and one goal, and that one goal must have been the penalty. He scored against Milan and celebrated like a madman. My God, he must have disliked that that move. You know, one one day he's off to Bayern Munich, and the other day he's off to Lecce. Yeah. So yeah, maybe I would have celebrated like a madman. But he, he only had 56 appearances for Milan, Massimo. Though I feel like mm. he had more. 135 appearances for Lazio, topical. <laughs> Yeah, people like sharing Milan and, and, and Lazio. There's Nesta, yeah. there's Romagnoli, Bro, there's Oddo. As well. He was even at Monza in 1996. Jesus Oddo. Christ, yeah, Oddo. Man's been, man's been around. I think Udinese showed glimpses of promise in this game. Um, they still struggle to get the ball into the back of the net, man. I, I, I do believe that that is where their main struggle comes because they, they are a compact unit. They they are tight, that midfield, Pajero, Wallace and Lovrich, you know, they're very compact. They're back three of Christensen, New Perez and Joao Ferreira, very compact and, and very efficient at, at defending. They, they make, they, Every single time someone plays Udinese, it's rare that you see them beat Udinese 4-0 and totally mm. blow them out of the park. It's mm. always a, a battle. And we always talk about them being a very physical side. There was that stat that over the past few years, they were the on average the tallest side mm. in Serie A as well. It's always a tough outing, but, but Lazio did very well to, to hold their own and, and get the victory. Mm. And to neutralise Lorenzo Luca as well by, press, pre, by pressing him and cutting his... Passing lanes. Um, if you look at Luca, okay, granted he had his aerial duels won, his ground duels mostly won as well. Possession loss only ten, which isn't too bad, but he only had eighteen touches. Mm. So if you have eighteen touches, you lose possession ten times, and thirty six percent of your passes are actually completed. That's a striker shutdown, right? There. Yeah, yeah. And it's stopping him from getting the ball, stopping which... him from holding up play as well. Exactly. You know? yeah. Exactly. And um, just one question before we move on: Guendouzi, Rovella, Kamada in midfield, three new faces. Kill Mary fuck. <laughs> Sure, bro. <laughs> no, 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 that's not. <laughs> but you can and DM us. <laughs> what did you make of their performances and this balance that they have going on? I mean, we've said that um, Kamada has kind of struggled and that he's been more of a bystander in these games. And I don't think he stood out this game at all. He wasn't very involved to me, no. in my opinion. Um, Rovella, however, I think is, looks mature beyond his years. Mm. Um, I thought that he was very involved as the metronome. He took a few risky passes, which he managed as well. He lost possession a few times, but um, overall, I would say that it's quite a promising performance by him. And Guendouzi, I'm just impressed by. I, I like the way Guendouzi settled into the Lazio side, and I think of all the signings, he's the one who hit the ground running best. Yep, I, I think so. I think so. Well, it's it's easy to notice his work ethic, his mm. tackling, and and his the the box to box nature, and his willingness to to learn and to to adapt. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. As for the league standings, I'm pulling a bit of a Jake over here. Lazio are in 7th on 30 points, while Sudanese in 16th on 17 points. Yes, Bologna drew 1-1 to Genoa. Dropping points again, Bologna. Bologna dropped points again, yes. And it's not an easy place for them to play in their own stadium against Genoa. <laughs> as um, their last five home matches against Genoa have not seen a Bologna victory. There Jesus. Have three draws and two losses. Christ, that was a bet, man. Hey. <laughs> um, but then you know what it is, man. <laughs> they had a season in, in Serie B. Yeah. Genoa. So you're like, is it the same Genoa? But his history is never wrong, man. Yeah. Ravaglia was in goal this game for Bologna once again. 
Um, Posh, Lukumi, Calafiore, and Dico Giannis were at the back. The double pivot was more on Froehler. And then, of course, was also Lini Fabian Urbanski and Zerxi up front with Urbanski getting the nod uh, this time. Yeah. For Genoa, it was a 3-5-2 formation with Ekuban and Goodmanson up front. Of course, Messias was out on the left and Sabelli was out on the right. Voliaccio, Dragusin and Vasquez were at the back with the midfield three as usual of Frendrup, Badel and Malinowski. Now, so Bologna sought to recover from a recent defeat, of course, and they initiated the game with, with high intensity and high pressing. Um, Orsolini's shot early in the game signaled Bologna's attacking intent, but Martinez's save denied them an early lead, and Martinez went on to have a fantastic, yeah, yeah, fantastic yeah. game. The oh, the Genoa goalkeeper. Um, despite Bologna's possession dominance, they failed and struggled to find openings to penetrate Genoa's defense. Um, against the run of play, Genoa took the lead via Goodmanson's free kick that found the net. Um, Voliaccio down, ducked out of the way to, um, to basically block the goalkeeper's view and then suddenly just duck and yeah. out of nowhere a ball's flying at the and goalkeeper. On, and on the bounce, keep in mind it's been raining. Yeah, it changed speed. On the bounce over there, it just flew and then man, picked up so much speed. Yeah, it was a great goal. <coughs> this is trippy because we're speaking about Bologna and we're and watching Bologna Fiorentina. Orsolini just hit the post, by the way. Damn. Bologna, of course, reacted sluggishly to going behind. Um, they found it challenging to, to muster a swift response. Xerxes tried and tried, but his attempts were thwarted and the team couldn't create any clear chances, um, except for one weak shot, if I remember correctly, that was handled um, comfortably by Martinez. Mm. In the second half, of course, Bologna um, upped their attacking impetus a little bit. Um, he made a triple substitution, bringing in Salamakers, Christensen and Arbusher for Urbanski, Moro and Liko Johns. Mm -hmm. I must say that I really like the way Salamakers has been playing for Bologna lately. I like the way he passes the ball into space, but kind of casually and like he, it, he look, it looks as if he's going to hold the ball and just launches it into space like just a mm -hmm. meter or two in front of him. Like that's, mm -hmm. he's playing very intelligently. One thing I thought about when watching this game was because obviously one team has Salamakers and the other team has Messias. Mm. And I'm like, look at these guys with Serie A champions in their team. That makes a difference, bro. It, does, it makes course, a difference. Yeah. Um, in fact, it was Salamakers who tried to push down the left flank. He delivered many crosses into the box. However, some of them did um, lack a little bit of precision, <laughs> of course. In the 75th minute, Calafiori headed the ball into the back of the net, but it was disallowed. Um, adding to Bologna's frustration. Um, Genoa introduced Stratagui, but they did not actually attempt to attack anymore. They adopted a defensive stance, they sat deep, and they defended in their own half with Stratagui pressing as the mm -hmm. spearhead. Calafiori shot from long range. It was all Calafiori, man. They were sitting so he, deep in Genoa that he kept getting the ball from out of the box and just yeah, having it. Yeah. He's got a shot, huh? He does, man. twisted. Calafiori can hit it from range. And this shot, particularly towards the end of the game, forced Martinez into a fine save. He also had a great save on Xerxes towards the end as well. Yep. Bologna's persistence eventually paid off when a corner was delivered. Um, De, Sil De Silvestri went to head it. Um, but it only, he missed it. It came as far as Salamakers, who squared it cleverly to, uh, De Silvestri, who launched the ball into the back of the net. A player I really like, De Silvestri, a very powerful and, um, 
a strong, dangerous player back in the day. Yeah. He was so dominant on the flank when he was younger. Um, nowadays, he's kind of moved on to be a behind-the-scenes leader, but it's nice to see that when he's introduced, he can make the difference, um, mm. and he can still contribute to the team. I love the way he's celebrated. I yeah. love how I love what a beast he is. Quite mm. frankly, it's his second goal he's of the massive. season, though. This is Vestry. I believe it might be. He definitely scored one last season against all odds, mm. um, but it might be his second goal this season as well. I'm not. I'm not too sure. Um, what I do wonder is who would win in a fight between him and Bascherotto. Between the Silvestri and Bascherotto. Mm-hmm. Because Bascherotto's got size over him, but the Silvestri's got that dog. He he got that dog. He's got that dog. Um, That wasn't all, by the way, for the game, because at the end, Goodmanson had a free kick Mm. towards the end of the game, probably the last action. And he struck it and basically hit the crossbar. I wasn't sure if the goalkeeper had saved it, but I think he got a fingertip and hit the Mm. crossbar, or he just hit the crossbar. He got very, very, very close to scoring a winner, which would have been... Crazy. By um, the way, confirm this is the Silvest- Silvestri. My my God, the Silvestri's second goal of the season. Wow, wow, that's more than some strikers. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, two great sides over here, in my opinion. Um, two sides who play very intelligent football. Two sides who adapt to their opponents. So it was a chess match throughout the whole game. Both teams shifting and trying to adapt and trying to dissect each other you know I mm-hmm. thought it was great Mantiago Motta and Alberto Gilardino I took my hat to you guys yes be- beautiful beautiful That that's what you get when you've got two young progressive managers yeah. um, at very different teams and when I say that I mean that Bologna are somewhat of an established team in Serie A and they just keep attempting to get better and better and better Genoa on the other hand a newly promoted team with a bunch of new players in their yeah. system um, and, and they're they they want to survive. That course, that, that is what what Genoa want this season. And However, I see you commenting in your car wherever the fuck you are. All right, yes, Bologna are a more established side in Serie A nowadays. Yes, we know yes. Genoa's history. Course, we know all that. Come on, come on. Uh, <laughs> I love how we called them out and they didn't say I shit. I got like. you, bro. They were texting. They picked up their phone and everything. I can tell you. I can guarantee. Don't text and drive. <laughs> but but that. The, this was the result of, of two young progressive managers, one one with a, a Genoa team that wants to stay up and the other one with a Bologna team who they're testing their limits at the moment. Is mm-hmm. it Champions League? Is it Europa League? Is it Conference League? What is it? And this was the result, a, a beautiful encounter. Genoa shocked us by taking that lead through through Goodmanson. The, the stats, bro. Can I, can I just read the yes, stats yes, very quickly? It. So Genoa, 29% ball possession. Two shots, one shot on target, <laughs> XG of 0.08, and they drew the game. Um, Bologna looked really happy at the end, obviously, because they scored the late equalizer, mm. but it should be Genoa who are happy yeah. with this, because that was a, this was literally a Catanaccio masterclass, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Away from home as well, bro. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that actually takes them up to... 12th with 21 points they're doing very well in their first season back Genoa they have a nice project of course American owners I'm curious to see what they're going to do this January and the next year's market as well and I'm curious to see what their ceiling is yeah Um, on the other hand Bologna have now fallen to 5th with 32 points Sassuolo 1 Fiorentina 0 what the hell so, so many bizarre 
results eh, this, yeah, this, yeah. this match day. Um, the Viola were fourth in Serie A, preparing for a packed fixture list, including the Coppa Italia quarterfinal with Bologna, which is taking place today, and the Super Coppa Italiana final four. Christian Kwame was at the African Cup of Nations with Nico Gonzalez, Sotil, Castrovilli and Dodo injured. Brecalo started on the right and then Zola started up top after refusing to join Angola at the African Cup of Nations and potentially facing sanctions. We'll Why? discuss that later. And, and I, to be honest, I don't have too much information. He, I, mm. I believe he knows he hasn't quite hit the ground running at Fiorentina and he wants to stay there and train and, and fall. Uh, yeah, he probably doesn't want to lose his spot to Beltran uncontested. Right? <laughs> because that's, that's what's going to happen if, yeah. he, if he goes to AFCON. Yeah. The hosts crashed out of the Coppa with a 3-1 defeat to Atalanta midweek, while Defrel, Alvarez, Vinya, Obiang and Racic were on the treatment table. In the ninth minute, Sassuolo got their one and only goal, nice and early through Pinamonti, who finished well after receiving a cutback from Pedersen, who was in a great position following a very intelligent pass by Henrique, just releasing that pass at the perfect moment to create a lot of space for Pedersen down that left-hand side. Torsved doubled Sassuolo's lead in the 48th after pouncing on a loose ball following a corner. However, the referee cancelled the goal after a VAR check as Henrique was offside and interfering with play. In the 62nd minute, Fiorentina were awarded a penalty due to a Ferrari handball on Milinkovic's header. Is it a Sassuolo game if they don't give away a penalty? <laughs> Bonaventura stepped up only to be denied by Consigli who pulled off a great save. Great save, yet not a great hit by, by Jack either. In the 68th minute, Fiorentina had the ball in the back of the net through Martinez Cuarta, who finished after Duncan's deflected volley struck the woodwork. Once again, this goal was chalked off after Cuarta being spotted in an offside position in the build-up. In the 69th minute, Ferrari cleared Beltran's acrobatic strike off the line after Consigli came off his line and failed to deal with the ball adequately. Then, Consigli brilliantly saved Milenkovic's header on the resulting corner with Inzola scuffing the rebound wide. In the 92nd minute, a corner strike from a distance flashed just wide of Consigli's far post to allow Sassuolo to walk away with a 1-0 victory over 4th-placed Fiorentina and get a clean sheet as well while the they first, were at right? The first of the season. Their That's first clean wild. sheet of the season, Sassuolo. And they hadn't won since November. Yeah, this team's just crazy, man. Man, I, I can't, I can't quite put my finger on it. Um, but Fiorentina intrigued me in this game because their recent run of form, which consisted of them grinding out results by scoring early and then maintaining that one nil advantage, kind of bit them in the ass through Sassuolo, kind of flipping, flipping that and, and mirroring it. They managed to get that early goal mm-hmm. in the ninth minute while Fiorentina were trying to defend and then they really struggled trying to find that goal because keep in mind Fiorentina are struggling significantly when it comes to going forward that is why they're taking this approach mm-hmm. and over here I, I do feel like they were exposed in that yeah. sense so they, they let them have the ball essentially um, Sassuolo just gave up possession and we, we never see that yeah as you said yeah, yeah. absolutely so that that um, early goal probably fucked up all of Fiorentina's plans yeah, in fact, if you, if you look at the stats, Sassuolo had 33% ball position. Um, okay, they had seven shots, one on target, as opposed to Fiorentina's nine and three on target. Now, for a team that 
conceded early and spent the entirety of the match trying to equalize and find a goal, how do you only have nine shots <laughs> as your output? One of them being a penalty dog. Yeah, yeah. One they, of them being a penalty that you missed. I I think that um, I've I've criticized Denzola heavily, mm. um, and it's not exactly his fault. I just think that the scouting department had a shocker mm. because that is he doesn't fit the identity. He doesn't fit the approach that Italiano has basically yeah. you know yeah. um, he's a counter-attacking powerhouse that, that's what he is he's good to hold up plays good to wait for his teammates he's not that reference point up front in an offensive team in my opinion mm-hmm. um, Jonathan Ikwana and Brekol are, are two good players two tricky players but they're very similar mm-hmm. and they're not exactly good against a low block they're much better when they have space in fact Brekol really struggled in this match Bonaventura if he has an off day it's not exactly pretty we know what mm-hmm. that's like um, we, we saw him a lot of Milan we've seen him at Fiorentina he's a very good player on his day but when he has an off day it's, he's one of those players that um, his off days are, are terrible yeah you know yeah. and not, not everything seems to come off at all for him let's mm-hmm. see if this was one of those Games statistically at least 73% accurate passes, 47 touches. He wasn't that involved mm-hmm. at all. Um, despite winning most of his ground duels, because then that's what he has Bonaventura, you know, he's going to fight yeah. till he dies. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. With that being said, clearly they're, they're struggling with, like you said, those two that they have up front. Now it's January. Mm-hmm. Should they be making acquisitions up front? I think they could get um, a player in that 10 position to help Jack Bonaventura a bit, reveal mm-hmm. him a bit of his duties. Um, I think that if an opportunity comes to get a striker in, mm. I think they should. Mm-hmm. I know they've got Jovic on the books still, so it's very unlikely that they do. They've got Nzola, they've got Beltran. Um, however, that's the department that's lacking for them right now. You know, you look at the the defense, apart from some centre-back depth that could be improved, it's fine. Coyote is great, Bragi solid, Milinkovic and Martinez quite are good. Um, they have Yeri Mina, who hasn't mm-hmm. quite hit the ground running at all. Um, yet, he's no. struggled with injuries, but he has been mm-hmm. featuring a little bit. But it's that offensive department that, uh, that's, that something's missing. They need a creative player. Funnily enough, and I know... I'm, I'm a meme for always mentioning him but su- that's what Saponara provided <laughs> Saponara <laughs> Saponara gave them a different dynamic to the game and when you add a, a splash of IQ mm. to this fucking yeah, team they, they somehow managed to to find to, to pierce through defenses uh-huh. that they wouldn't have managed otherwise because right now they're all about um Chicory and pace, but there's hardly any player there that can play. Bro, Saponara gets you the ball in the box, Saponara which is which is what which yeah. is what Fiorentina are struggling to do. Exactly. Nine shots in a game where you were one nil down in the ninth minute. Yeah, no, that, that's what Saponara had good. Um, also, think, by the way, where is he? Like, pff, he hasn't been on the bench. It's bullshit. He, he, it's he bullshit. started a game and then he disappeared three games. Don't worry, we said no. It's free to start a football club in Malta. Yes. let's fucking bring him in. Bro. Bring him in. Um, I think they need a striker, definitely, definitely need. A, it's a, a complicated third. thing, though, for them to bring in a striker. Why? Because they've got Jovic on the books still, and they've just brought in two. They they loan one in. Mm-hmm. And it's not a. I mean, they do something. I would have bro. even tried for Colombo or something, you know, if right? I could, like get them right? on loan. They have now uh, as well. Like you said, they definitely need a, a vice for Jack that could play as a number ten. Um, but also, you remember we used to talk about this depth that Fiorentina have on the wings. So, 
Nico and Sotil are injured, and what are we left with? Who are the wingers? Tell me. It's Jorko uh, and Brekolo. Give me a break. Yeah, yeah, it's not, it's not good enough. As in, this team is fourth. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. They're, they're not doing a terrible job, but because their defense is so fucking on point and their midfield mm-hmm. is so on point. If I have to look at this performance and, and point out three great players for Fiorentina in this game, I'll go Milenkovic as that towering fucking centre-back of theirs. He's a beast. Milenkovic has really found his form again after a shaky season last season. Duncan, I did not know he was that good with the ball at his feet. His, mm. his, his passing, yeah. his looping balls over the top. He's even got a bit of prowess in front of goal as well. Yeah. And Terracciano. Terracciano who keeps making the, these miracle saves for, for Fiorentina. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, anyone in the more attacking region... Okay, now Sassuolo took, took that low block that, for example, Milan always struggle against. And Milan have got Leao, Pulisic, Giroud, and they struggle against the low block. So naturally, this team is going to struggle against the low block as well. But they didn't manage to create anything mm-hmm. in this game. Against Sassuolo's defense. Yeah, and that's it, man. No no creativity. If Bonaventura had enough day, there's no one else there who's capable of playing a clever through ball. Mm-hmm. I mean, props to Sassuolo as well. Yes, because no, they Sassuolo. shut up shop and they, they didn't allow... Fiorentina the, the slightest of chances mm. they had a penalty Fiorentina they missed it Sassuolo had a, had a disallowed goal they could have gone 2-0 up Fiorentina okay had a disallowed goal as well a lot of VAR controversy and drama this week but Sassuolo right after we said that Dionisi should be getting the sack they managed to pull this off they, their first their clean ass, sheet yeah. of, of the but season but they lose Tolian and Berardi in the process uh, through injury yeah so so quite a quite a <laughs> A tax mm. for that victory over there. Uh-huh. Robin Hood. There we go. Here we are. Sassuolo are in 14th on 19 points. They are 5 points over Verona in 18th place. While Fiorentina maintained their fourth spot after Bologna failed to win. On 33 points, they're 6 behind Milan and 1 ahead of Bologna. Frosinone looked to be getting smashed by Monza, bro. 3-0. Frosinone at home. Monza up 3-0 comfortably. <laughs> Um, <clears throat> Turati was in goal, of course, for Frosinone, um, which explains why maybe three goals were put past him. He's not been <laughs> honestly, having a great season. Honestly. Poor guy. Um, Luzwardi, Okoli, and Monterizzi at the back with Lirola out on the right, Gelli out on the left, Berenche and Harui in the middle with Shedira up front. Reiner has come back, he's playing on the left, and Sule was playing on the right. And Sule had a very mixed bag of a performance. For yeah. To say the least. Yeah. Di Gregorio was in goal for Monza for most of the game, but he did go off injured and he will be out for a month. Um, Caldirola, Gagliardini and D'Ambrosio were at the back, of course. Monza having to utilize um, two non-centre-backs at centre-back to deal with their crisis. <laughs> Pereira out on the left, Churia out on the right. Bondo and Pessina in the middle with Colpani and Carboni playing behind Mota. Um, Carboni, by the way, Valentin Carboni. I'm a big fan. Yeah. The match saw early threats from Monza. Um, of course, they were dribbling, they were shooting, they were doing what Monza do. In the sixth minute, Colpani um, almost scored. Um, and in the 18th minute, Mota managed to capitalize on a Valentin Carboni assist, um, penetrating through the defense and easily beating Torati to put Monza up 1-0. Yeah, he did the, the, the layout villain celebration. Yeah, that, that the, is, the clown. Yeah. That's a great. Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> it must be so annoying. 
Totally. Um, not as annoying as Jean Dre's celebration this week, by the way. I still need to bring that up. Don't That's, you worry. That, okay, you have you have something prepared, I assume. <laughs> yes. Um, Frasinone, um, they had a chance to equalize in the 24th minute through uh, Chedira header of a Gelli cross, but it sailed high, um, albeit there were the, there were suspicions of offside, but the flag did stay down. And it was quite a massive miss over there for Chedira. Um Technical issues interrupted the VAR system temporarily, causing a halt in the match. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> Frasinone came close to leveling the score with Sule's free kick, brilliantly parried away by Di Gregorio at the half-hour mark. Um, he was substituted Di Gregorio after a collision with Harui in the 41st minute. Just before half-time, Monza doubled their lead. This time, it was Mota returning the favour to Valentin Carbuani, who managed to score, making it 2-0. To Frosinone. To Monza, sorry. Not to Frosinone. <laughs> <laughs> the Gregorio wanted to stay on. I don't know if you know, just to stay on for a bit. And yeah. then he's like, fuck it, I need to get the he's hell a warrior, out. warrior, right? Gladiator. Yeah. yeah. Man, I remember the first time I ever watched the Gregorio play football. I thought you were going to say the first time you ever watched Gladiator. I was like, no, what the no, hell? No. I'm not a big fan of Gladiator. I'm joking, I just haven't seen it. Um, <laughs> um, yes, the first time I watched Di Gregorio, I was dog sitting at Dan's, bro. I was sat at his kitchen table. Dan, I remember. Sarah's brother. I remember. And I, you added I did the like game that. on it was a Serie B. It was a Serie A playoff from Serie B. The time that Monza didn't make it through. So, th- so it was two ah, years ago. I remember. And, and I thought to myself, this guy in goal, I, I'm going to be honest, I thought to myself, this ginger guy in goal for Monza <laughs> is incredible. <laughs> incredible. In and fact, then, when he benched Cranio, you weren't too surprised, yes, I remember. Because I, I remember being so disappointed that Monza brought in Cranio. Mm. Because I'm like, they have a great goalkeeper already. And I'm like, there's no chance that Cranio doesn't bench uh-huh. this guy. But he didn't, and, and Di Gregorio has improved and improved. Wow, and improved. that that's Serie B. Monza was well with Kevin Prince, Boateng, exactly. Balotelli yeah, yeah, up yeah. front. Crazy, crazy. Insane, to be honest. In the second half, Di Francesco made tactical substitutions for Frosinone. He brought in Caso and Mazzitelli for Reiner and Lirola, respectively. Sule moved to a deeper midfield position. An unfortunate own goal by Sule in the 56th minute extended Monza's lead to 3-0, meaning that two of the goals that um, that Frosinone conceded were actually thanks to a Sule. Yeah, yeah. Sule. Cra- crazy own goal by Sule from outside the box, man, yeah. almost. He slid to intercept a pass. <laughs> Turati, obviously, when the ball moves, he runs with the ball, like he always mm-hmm. is with boy. He was out of position and the ball rolled into the back of the net. Yeah, Harui narrowed the scoreline a minute later with an excellent finish. Um, the match got even more intense as Caputi awarded Frosinone a penalty in the 74th minute um, for D'Ambrosio's challenge on Caso. Would you believe that my defense on Fanta Calcio consists of D'Ambrosio, Mazzocchi, and fucking who else was there? Someone... I can't remember right now, but, but three guys made massive mistakes mm. for me, giving away fucking penalties or getting sent off. That's because you spent one credit on your defenders. Yes, yes. It, it didn't quite work out this year. Usually it works out nicely. Mm. Um, Sule converted the penalty to make it 3-2. Two, two. Um, there were 15 minutes left, but uh, Monza shut up shop, shut up shop perfectly. <laughs> 
Um, and Frosinone couldn't quite penetrate them and the match ended 3-2 that's what you get when you make too many mistakes that's what you get when you have too many youth players that's yeah. what you get man in general yeah, yeah. not no, Frosinone are never down and out eh? and that's like the, uh-huh. the tale of the tape here their defence as we know you know leaves a lot to be desired they're not a very organised side defensively um, because they are so offensive and, and Monza took advantage of that they were 3-0 up um, by the I mean, by the 55th minute, I believe, yeah, by the 55th yeah. minute, they were, they were 3-0 up. But Frosinone are never down and out. They keep attacking to the very, very last second. Um, and, you know, there, there was a second that I thought that they were going to find that equalizer. Yes, I've mentioned this before on the pod, of course, but I'm going to say it again because it's so impressive that it deserves to be uh, mentioned. When Monza were bought by Silvio Berlusconi, two players that are currently on the squad were already there. Mm. Um, these players are Danny Mota and um, what's his name? What's his name? Machine. 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 The machine. These guys were playing in Serie C. Crazy. Right? Bro. Now they're in Serie A. They both feature Danny Mota more, obviously, uh-huh. than Machine. But Danny Mota doesn't look like a player who was playing in Serie no. C three seasons ago, four seasons ago. He was struggling in the opening stages of the yeah. season. He hadn't scored in, in ages, but now he's. But he's, he's not really again. a prolific goal scorer, you know. No, he's more of a no. tricky um, flair player. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And but but he does have the technique to make a difference in this league, man. And mm-hmm. he's, he's doing very well. And respect to him because he managed to work hard and to climb with his team. Most people would have said, "Oh shit, the club's been taken over. My, I don't. I no longer have a role here." Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. So respect to him. Um, Monza currently stand in 11th with 25 points While Frosinone are in 15th with 19 points Let's move on to the last game bro Lecce 1, Cagliari 1 The Salentini were relatively comfortable mid-table But sliding down after back-to-back defeats to Inter and Atalanta While the Sardinians remained in the bottom three Hamza Raffia, Tuba, Banda and Luvumbo were at the Africa Cup of Nations, plus Sansone, Dermaku, Yankto, Lapadula, Capradossi, Shumorodov and Rog out injured. Who are bros? Now, Captain Strefetsa Nandes shook hands and had it not been for Nandes' Viking beard, I would have thought that these were the captains of the under-12 teams with their <laughs> combined height of 4 feet and 6 inches. <laughs> Udon hit the post from distance in the 14th minute with what seemed to be a mishit. Jean Dre headed in an Udon corner in the 31st minute and did my favorite celebration of the season so far. I don't quite know how to describe it. He was Crash Bandicoot. Was it Crash Bandicoot? You think I don't it was know. Crash I Bandicoot? I don't think it was, but it gave me those vibes. Mm. He kind of it gave me crazy frog vibes as uh, well. You know, or like thriller. Thriller as uh, well. I don't know what the hell that was, man. Uh-huh. Was but some way to celebrate your first goal. Uh, it made me a little bit uncomfortable. Imagine never scoring in Serie A, scoring in Serie A for the first time and doing that. I like it, man. I like it. Good I like celebration, it. I mean, John but, but a very interesting person because but I would lose my mind. After seeing that, he's officially Gendry. Gendry. He's no longer Jean Dre because Jean, Jean, Jean Dre wouldn't have done that. You think Jean Dre celebrates yeah. like that? You know, Jean Dre hits the gritty maybe every now and then. Gendry, that's what he does. Kristovic had the opportunity to score with an open net in the 37th minute following another Lecce corner, but instead his strike went out for a throw. I don't know how he managed that, bro. It's like I cursed this guy. <laughs> it it's went like out for I, a throw, yeah, bro. It's, it's like crazy. I cursed him, man, my God. That was such a terrible miss. Like, uh, he's changed as a player, man. His confidence has been yeah. shot. 
Yeah. In the 67th minute, Oristano got to the end of an inch-perfect in-swinging free kick by Nicolas Viola, and for a second it looked like Falcone kept the youngsters half volley out with a tremendous save, but goal line technology indicated that the ball had crossed the line. In the 70th minute, Falcone, the main character, did extremely well to deny Prati's strike from distance with a one-handed diving stop. So, it was a good game. I think when watching this game, I thought that Lecce probably deserved to get more out of the game. Um, but Cagliari did, did a good job to get that one point that they were seeking. When you look at the stats of the game, I mean, Lecce had 15 shots, two on target. And Cagliari had 14 shots, two on target. So when you look at it from that basic perspective, it was a, a very even game. However, I do feel like that Lecce were controlling the tempo more and they were more dangerous when it came to um, um, free kick scenarios, mm-hmm. uh, corner scenarios. They're the more organized side, uh, funnily enough, because this is our near team we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, but the quality is, uh, and, and the say experience is less on that, um, on that Cagliari side. I was impressed with Petania's performance. I thought he held up play well and knocked the ball down very well. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought Viola was okay as well. Um, Oristanio, I did not expect to get on the end of that free kick. Very happy yeah. for him to get his goal, the man on loan from Inter. And Nathan Nandes had a pretty good game, managing to get some crosses on target. Nathan Nandes had a very good game. Uh-huh. I was very happy with Nandes' performance, rolling back the years over there. Mm-hmm. And then he, he ended up on the left at some point. Yeah, he did a yeah, good yeah, job yeah. over there. Um, it's interesting because I said, you know, Lecce are, are typically the team that, that dominate when it comes to the set play scenarios. But it was Cagliari that actually managed to get the goal through, uh, through a set, set piece, play yeah. over there. Almost denied by Falcone, but wasn't quite enough. Um, uh-huh. Lecce, they find themselves in 13? 13th on 21 points. You're getting impatient with me, trying to win sometime. I know we have what? Three minutes left. <laughs> Cagliari in 17th on 15 points. So if you've made it this far, guys, thank you very, very much for listening. We've been Seria Spotlight. We'll be back next week. Don't forget to check out our socials, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter. We've got our giveaway live at the moment. And we have got quite a great piece of content coming out in the next few weeks as Stay well. Stay tuned.